And I'm Drake. And welcome to Backstage Biddies, a podcast where two theater nerds discuss our love and sometimes hate of movie musicals. From Golden Age to Disney to Contemporary, we'll recap and review all things movie musical. Join us as we scrutinize Hollywood casting, dive into the history of all your faves, and gossip about controversies of the stage and screen. Press play and sing along because this, this is Backstage, Backstage Biddies. New Year, new musical, how exciting. But before we get to the juicy stuff, I have a question for you. Oh, God, what? Do you listen to the Tony and Ryan show? No. They're a set of Australian podcasters. You've probably seen a bunch of their oh, stuff on TikTok. Oh, is this that, like... They do the... One of their like, common bits on TikTok is things you can say in blank and also in the bedroom. Yeah. Tony no, and Ryan. I know, I know. Yeah. Okay, so they had an episode. Ross and I love listening to them. We were listening to them in the car, and... Tony had a question about the start fart. Are you familiar? <laughs> okay, so it's when you like go to the bathroom, particularly in a public restroom, and like before you go, there's oh, like that little sometimes there's like a, there's a fart. Yeah, there's like a little fart. Yeah. Before you do the thing, right? Yeah. It's called a start fart. Okay. What what at what point? do we just allow the start fart, right? Like there's shame about it. Do you, do you feel shame about the start fart? I don't shit in public. It doesn't happen when you pee? No. Bold. (laughs) (laughs) No. Do you think other people should feel shame about it? No. Okay. That's, that's not a thing. Like, so I, no, I agree. I agree. Worked in, in the medical field. I dealt with a lot of bodily functions in that, and it, no. And it's nothing to be ashamed of. No, I, like, if I accidentally, like, fart in public, I do feel a little shame, but I'm well aware that, like, I shouldn't, and I don't ever shame other people for it. Certainly. Except my sisters, and that's just because... Well, that's sisterly love. That's different. Yeah, that's different. Yeah. So here's here's how I justify the start fart, right? Because I think we should be bold and brave with our start farts. Fart away. I justify it. I justify smells and sounds in public restrooms by, like, I always just have to remind myself that the alternative to public restrooms and indoor plumbing as it stands currently. Is to shit in the street. It's literal, actual shit in the street. And indoor plumbing is a modern marvel, and we should be proud to use it. I, that's what I'm saying. Is that, like, I, I get it. I get the shame. I do. But do you know what the alternative to the start fart is? Do you want to just, like, just squat in the street and lock eyes with passersby? <laughs> it's fucking dysentery. That's what the alternative is, gang. Yeah, just <laughs> release the start fart. <laughs> Let her fly. That's what I say. Let her rip. Tony and Ryan, if you hear this, or heaven forbid if this clip should ever make it to TikTok, um, know that we love you. And uh, I think they had kind of the same opinion that, like, the start fart just is nothing to be ashamed of. I'd have to rewatch the episode just, to be sure. But... Just let it happen. I have, I have listened to a couple of their episodes. I think they're I li- outrageous. I, I was like, I don't know who's. I don't know if you know this or not about me, but lately my brain hasn't been working. Hmm. She's just not. Wow, 
It is like dial up <laughs> over here. <laughs> like it's just well, uh, we love Tony and Ryan. Um, thank you for the cold open. You guys are the best. Uh, and let your start farts fly. Yeah. In unrelated news, what's the hint? <laughs> <laughs> the hint is Bruce. 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 <laughs> One of my favorite people in the world is named Bruce. Is it my uncle? No. Is it my cousin? No. They're both named Bruce. That's why. So they have the same last name too? Yeah. That's fucking crazy. It's a Bruce Simon Bruce Jr. Oh, I didn't realize. The, okay, or that makes more senior sense. Junior. That makes more sense. Yeah. yeah. Way to we just, don't call him. Bruce. Way to just fully name drop all the way on the pod. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not shit talking. I guess that's true. He's, no, Bruce Hutler. I love that Bruce too. I know. That's he's my favorite person. I just you love just him. You just full name dropped. Well, he deserves it. He, de- I mean, he's, he's he deserves guy. the props. And he's a grandpa now. He is a grandpa because our bestie had a baby. That is the wildest shit of my entire life. I had this crazy moment the other day where I saw an old family photo that my mom had taken at Christmas. And it was like me and Ross and Corey and one of his old girlfriends. And then like a bunch of my younger siblings when they were like little, little. Like mm-hmm. I think my sister was still like in grade school in this photo. Oh, God. I know. And I was like, oh, my God. It's been like 12 years since this photo was taken. And all of our lives are so incredibly different now. And it's so weird to think that, like, I mean, you don't really view your life in chapters necessarily. But, like, to think about where our group of people is now and what we're all doing and, like. Why do I feel like this episode's going to be a very emotional moment? It just might be. I've got, I've got a few things later. That, oh, I like, fully cry during this musical. For sure, for sure, for times. sure. But continue. I'm sorry. I just. Oh my God, throwing your phone. Oh, yeet. Jesus. Oh, 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 what about Bruce? You were you were in the middle of a story. No, that was all. That was, okay, that's fine. Just, that was the end of that story. We're just. We're it's just, just neat to see. Old people. <laughs> it's just neat to see where we all are. I think I just, it's cool. It's cool. I, I enjoy it. I enjoy it. So, Bruce. Uh, <laughs> Are you going to say it like that the whole episode? Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, so, Bruce is the name of a character in this brand new movie musical. New Year, new musical. Oh, my God, guys. I'm going to say that several times so that I can justify it being the title of this episode. <laughs> That's fine. They said the thing. We did the thing. <laughs> Um, we're of course talking about Bruce Bogtrotter from Matilda the Musical. I was so excited and when they new, announced this. And by new, I literally mean 2022 release. Yeah, so we're filming this I mean, the that day was a after. Whole, a whole year ago now <laughs> that you're listening to it. Martin. A whole year ago. We are filming this episode literally the day after this musical came out on, mean, on Netflix. Fresh. I was so excited when they announced this. Because we couldn't, like, bring our laptops into, like, a movie theater <laughs> and sit down. I mean, and... we could have, but we would have been dicks. I, I just, I... Ugh. Also, I pause things when we watch them. So do the I. Pod. I don't know. Like... I, I would have missed a ton of stuff. Yeah. So, so pass. So pass, but it did. It did just drop on Netflix. And, you know, funny enough... That was a really fast sentence, and that's coming from me. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I get I get really hard legs, and then it's like. <laughs> you know, you know. Anyway, actually, a friend of ours just sent me um, an Instagram link about this movie musical, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, I just watched it!" 
But I didn't, you know. Didn't say for I the didn't pod. Say for the pod, but I was like, I was like, <gasps> like I finished it, and maybe an hour later, this person was like, "Have you heard? <laughs> Here, did you see this thing?" And I was like, oh, "Yeah, I did, and I just watched it. What? It's so great. You'll love it." One of my favorite things is when people send us movie musical news like whenever whenever new casting news drops like the, there was just some casting announcements for wicked like keila settle's gonna be in it and um uh, uh bowen yang is that his name the guy from snl yes yeah bowen sure i just don't want to be racially insensitive if i goofed his name i think that's it sam will you fact check that and if that's not right take it out and if it is right leave it in and then maybe add some applause Thanks, you're the best. And then maybe take out this conversation. (laughs) No, no, leave it in. The kids should know how hard you work. (laughs) Okay. All right. All right. Thanks, Sam. Anywho, people will send us casting news and be like, have you heard? Like, have I heard? Bitch, Theater Mania sends me updates. I I mean I don't hear. I am so old and so Oh my behind god. I, I get push anything. notifications about that shit because it's like the only kind of content that I'm fully keyed into across all platforms. I sit in my living room and I watch Golden Girls on repeat. Maybe you should engage. Why? So you know when these Oh my god, you even listening? But you're but you're but you're my guy. You're the guy that I have for that. You know how like, old <laughs> people always have a guy? I'm the guy. You're my guy. <laughs> well, I guess as You're long as guy, one of this us is, knows. These are my people that I'm talking to through a microphone right now. I suppose. As not an expert, but as someone who like watches the thing, does research, and then, you know, there you go. <laughs> I guess. So before this was a movie musical, it was a musical. Mm-hmm. Before it was a musical, it was a movie. It was a movie. And, you know, watching this movie musical back, I was sitting there and I was like, you know... I can't remember the last time I watched Matilda. Like the yeah. ni- I think it's 1996 it came out. Yep. I can't remember the last time I watched it. But when I was a kid, I loved it. I was Me like, too. fuck these adults. Hell yeah, make those pancakes. Yeah, I think there's something magical about the idea. And that obviously that's the Roald Dahl thing. He keys into like the dreams of children. It's like his whole genre. Right. Cause we, and this is the, the second film that was a movie musical made off of something that he wrote. Yeah. That, and that we've covered. Yeah, this is our second Roald Dahl number. I wonder if we'll Charlie get to any other stuff. Charlie Chocolate Factory is the one that we covered. Isn't, is Coraline Roald Dahl? I don't know. I think that might have been him originally. I don't know, but I feel like that could be... It See, it seems like his flavor of right? stuff. It does you know? seem like his kind of vein. Yeah. Anyway, um, I think there's something magical about kids who see injustice or are treated poorly and don't know what to do about it relating to this character who has the ability to do something about it oh i didn't need you (laughs) no i I just think that that's what it was about us as children why we liked liked this movie i know but that's what i'm saying is like how dare oh you didn't need the therapy session about it no i didn't well how dare you brace for impact but here we are um yeah so and did you know that that film was indeed directed directed (laughs) is that a word Directed by Dini Davidi. Directed by Dini Davidi. Can you do that? Can you do it in English just one time? It was directed by Danny Bruce DeVito. Danny, Danny DeVito. His middle name is not Bruce. You don't know. You don't know. I don't. 
I had no idea he directed that film. He did. He was in it and he directed it. And That's crazy. I just, I mean, my God, what a talent. Yeah, my God. What a talent. I know he's direct. He's directed several other things and like shows that he's been on. He's directed episodes, which tends to happen with longer running. Sure, stuff. sure. Um, but yeah, I didn't yeah, know that. Look at him go. I did just learn that before he was an actor, he was a hairdresser. He was. Found that out on TikTok. And he got out of the game because one of his clients had passed, and then his family or the person's family was like, "We'd love for you to do her hair one last time." Yeah. Hey, Diana, dear friend Diana out there in the in the podverse, um, hairdresser, shoot us a message and let us know. Um, did you ever have to do dead people's hair? Is have you? Oh, have you? And and friends of the pod, when Diana responds, we'll let you know. Oh yeah, we'll give I you just, a live I gotta update. know. It just it popped in my head. That's I have crazy, to know. Diana. When I die, do not do my hair. That's terrifying. I mean, please don't touch my corpse. I mean, if if you're if you're willing. Oh my God, <laughs> Benny. <laughs> Or put or find find a wig. Someone I'm gonna find, shave your head when you okay. die, and we're just gonna put a wig on you. That's fine, <laughs> um, but make it like really great. Like give these people specifications that I will be lying down the entire time, and hair to the front. Oh my god! Up and forward. <laughs> Do you have anyway. anything else to say about this movie? No, delightful, frankly. It was one of my favorites. Um, it led to a musical in England. England. Yes, this is an English musical. So it started in Stratford-upon-Avon in 2010. This is also a really current musical, right? Yes. Like This is super contemporary. Yep. Uh, it made it to the West End in 2011, made its way on over to Broadway in 2013. It was nominated for 10 Olivier Awards, which is a particularly high number for the Olivier's. Seven wins, including Best Musical, Best Actor in a Musical, Best Actress in a Musical, Best Direction, and Best Choreographer at the 2012 Olivier Awards. Get it. Yeah, they did really well. Um, There were some other ones for... Oh, they were design, lighting, and and I think set design were the two other ones. They were were technical awards. Gotcha. Uh, It was nominated for 13 Tony Awards... And had five wins, including Best Book, Best Actor, Best Set, and Best Lighting Design. Thirteen. Thirteen. That's a, that's a whopper. It is a lot. However, it didn't break any uh, records because no. some of those nominations were for the Tony Honors for Excellence in Theater, which is a non-competitive Tony Award for people who have like earned Tony Award status but weren't eligible in their category. So it's people who do, um, for whatever reason, you know, the show was a limited run or they landed out this, this one in particular got, they had four nominations on this show for the, for the, uh, honors award. And it was because the four actors, child actors who played Matilda split the role. And so none of them were in the show full time enough to be eligible for a Tony Award. Oh, because they're children, right? So they can't be a right. Part of a, and it was gotcha. it was a leading role on Broadway and very demanding. Matilda's on stage like the entire show. Right. Right. So they had to split it up, and these four children did a phenomenal job. Um, their names are Sophia Genusa, Genusa, Genusa. Unsure. Una Lawrence, Bailey Ryan, and Millie Shapiro. 
And all four of them received Tony Honors for Excellence in Theater, which is what bumped this to 13 nominations. I gotcha. Okay. Right? So okay. It, it technically only counted as one Tony win because it was for the role. But the noms counted separately for whatever reason. The tallying is weird, but but whatever. It won five Tony Awards, including that. And uh, fun fact about the Tony Honors for Excellence in Theater Award. The first winner was named Alfred Drake in 1990. Alfred? I know. Do I have a Tony Award? No. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> Um, this was also nominated for a handful of Drama Desk Award, Outer Critics Circle, and had international acclaim with some of their international productions, particularly the Australian production, won a slew of awards. So this was well-received kind of everywhere it went. It was written by Tim Minchin, um, who also wrote Groundhog's Day. He's kind of known for writing really, like, chaotic scores. His music tends to be very hectic, very, very uh, frivolous and energetic. Um, he also has played Pontius Pilate in Jesus Christ Superstar twice. I think one of them was an understudy role, or maybe he understudied it twice. He did it twice, though. <laughs> Look at Pontius being a pilot. I don't want to do this with you. Keep going. I don't want to do this with you anymore. <laughs> but anybody who's familiar with Jesus Christ Superstar, the score on that one is also crazy. Right, like you're just screaming the entire musical. And do you know what Tim Minchin looks like? No. He looks crazy. He uh, he has a very like almost Gerard Way kind of vibe about him. This is Tim Minchin. Oh, I saw him all over the internet. During Doesn't my he? <laughs> Doesn't no. he look like the kind of guy who wouldn't write a children's family musical? He looks like the kind of guy that would be in a Tim Burton film. Yeah. That's the mood. That's the vibe. Right, um, well, you know, I say get it. Yeah. So I say get it, Tim Minchin. He has a ton of film credits and, and TV credits and acting credits. He's, a, he's got a really weird history. Um, fascinating guy if you ever are looking for something fun to like research. He has said that he's kind of done doing family musicals, though. Between this and Groundhog's Day, with our, which are both pretty family-friendly. Yeah. He has said he, he is no longer interested in doing family-friendly entertainment. And uh, he has been looking at Stardust by Neil Gaiman, doing a musical adaptation of Stardust. Uh, fun fact, Neil Gaiman shares a birthday with me. Well, from <laughs> one... Know. Gay men to another. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's also one of my favorite authors. So I would love to see an adaptation of Stardust. I think that'd be super cool. Well, baller. And then it became a movie musical. It did so, so quickly. So fast. So it was released in certain theaters ahead of time. Yeah, this before. had a wide release in theaters. Yes. Or I guess not a wide release. It was a limited release. It, it was it a It didn't play release. near us. No, no, no um, <laughs> Not us po' folk out here in the country. <laughs> po', we so po', we cannot afford the other O and the R. <laughs> it's just po'. <laughs> po'. Um, so it was released in the UK November 25th, 2022. And in the US on December 9th of 2022, it was directed by Matthew Warkus. Screenplay by Dennis Kelly and cinematography by Tat Radcliffe. 
Who? Tat Radcliffe. You're just making up names. I just am not. You should all be <laughs> impressed that I pronounced any of that. Um, and I'm, well, I shouldn't have said that because now I have a whole list of people I have to pronounce. <laughs> all right, here we go, kids. Buckle up. Alicia Weir as Matilda Wormwood. Uh, Lashana Lynch? Sure. As Miss Jennifer Honey. Oh my God, she was perfect. Oh, oh, I, I cried so much, so much. Anyway, keep. I'm gonna keep. Anyway, <laughs> Emma Thompson as Miss Agatha Trunchbull. That's my mom. Which, by the way, Trunchbull is your mom. Yeah, no, Emma Thompson <laughs> is my mom. <laughs> um, if Trunchbull was my mom, I don't think I would. I'd be too busy in therapy to do this. You'd probably be dead <laughs> if we're gonna be honest with her, with ourselves. Um, we have uh, Stephen Graham as Mr. Harry Wormwood, Andrea Risenborough as Mrs. Wormwood, Sindhu V as uh, Mrs. Phelps, Lorna Alexandra as the acrobat, Carl Spencer as Magnus the escapologist. 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 No. Because he's an escape artist. He's escape- an escapologist. Yeah, escapologist. We're not saying the same thing. <laughs> I know we're not. I'm <laughs> You're like, okay. That's not how you, you pronounce it. it. Uh, Catherine Kingsley as the acrobat stepsister. Charlie Hudson Pryor as Bruce Bogtraw. You don't have to be like this. I don't, but here we are. <laughs> um, then we have Rai Yamauchi. Folker as Lavender. I believe you. And then Misha Garb- Garbet as Hortensia. Hortensia, the Red Beret girl. Yeah, Red Beret. Do you want a crazy fact about her now or do you want to less want to say Oh, wait, it? give it to me now. We're talking about her. She was also in Cats. She played one of the mice in Jenny Anydots' number. Moving on. She's also in Jingle Jangle. I'm assuming you mean Tom Whooper's cats. And Tom Whooper? Yeah, Whooper. <laughs> There's no W. You're you're losing your entire mind tonight. Yeah. Yeah, she's in I Tom Whooper's cats. I don't know if you've known this or not, but I'm a 98-year-old woman <laughs> on the verge. She's also in Jingle Jangle, the, uh, the Christmas musical on Netflix. You know the one? I know the one. I'm trying to think of which... Do you know which character? Or was she just like... No, she's just one of the dancers. Oh, okay. Okay. She was I, she also... She does a phenomenal job in this. So like yeah, I she does. Just... I, it totally makes sense for her to be a background dancer. She's also in Hobbs and Shaw. What? Yeah, the Fast and Furious franchise movie. The one that never should have been made? <laughs> None of them should have been made. We should have been done at three. Fired. So yeah, she's got a weird range of stuff, but she's uh, she's no stranger to a movie musical. And girl, she came in and she cashed her check on this one. She, oh. she was like, oh, you wanted an icon? Hello, girl. <laughs> Make way. Yeah. She did Prince Proud in that moment. She certainly did. Yeah. Uh, Winter Jurette Glasspool as Amanda Thrupp. And Matt Henry as Doctor. And I wasn't going to leave him in here because I was like, 
it's a brief moment. Like when I was just looking at the cast. Yeah, I don't even originally. know which doctor you're referencing. Um, in oh, the, the guy in the opening scene, number? Oh, the guy who sings the house all the way down? Which is why I left his name on that cast list because I was like, look at that talented man. Yeah, he said vocals. He he did indeed say vocals and sequins. And good for him. He did. I'm very proud of him. So the production on this one actually got started in 2013. Yeah, we've been talking about this for a long time. Yes, they were trying to get the rights, and the movie was finally finally confirmed in June of uh, 2016. So there was a lot of back and forth on what they actually wanted for this. So, like, Danny DeVito had wanted to do a sequel for Matilda. Oh, interesting. Um, And the the gal who played Matilda back in the day was like, if they, if they'll have me like make a cameo on that, I'd love to. Oh yeah. What's her name? Mara Wilson. Yeah. Um, She's uh, an anti-Nazi and I love her for that. Well, we, we love anti-Nazis. We should all strive to be more like Mara Wilson. Oh, hello. Um, there was also talk of an animated event series. I don't know if I would have loved that. So it's it was going to be mixed with other doll books like oh. um, the BFG, the Twits, and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. So they were going to make like oh, one, the like one episode. The Dollverse? The Dollverse. The Dollverse. And it's not... It's hard because in the Midwest here, we say like... A doll, like a, a like a dolly, like a yeah, like a like a Barbie like, doll. Yeah, we're like doll. Yeah. Yeah, and he's also doll. So doll verse is like, I don't know. I can't tell you how many people I saw over the holiday weekend who were like clearly visiting and not from here, and I would say to them, "Oh, did you want a bag today? Do you want a bag?" You can see people physically flinch. Yeah. When they hear that word in the Midwest. <laughs> Do you want a bag? Oh, did you want a bag for your goods today? I just, and my customer service voice gets so Super youper. Super youper. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, Schwitz and Ladders. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh, man. yeah. So, going back to this, for the cast, there were over 200 kids cast as the student body. And of each and, and every one of them they left no crumbs. it out. Bruce... And everyone else left no crumbs. Oh, not even one. No. Every last bite. Exactly. Gone. Yes. And the reception for this, even though it's still fairly new, has been has been great. I mean, um, kind of uproarious. People are really into this. Yeah. And so, like, the box office, they made $19.7 million already. Rightly so. It's a great adaptation. <laughs> um, then... For Rotten Tomatoes, they already have something out, which is not shocking. Um, but it's just the fact that it brings this classic story with, you know, Emma Thompson is mentioned so many times by so many people. Because, again, she's a big oh, name man. and she does a fantastic job in this, which well, is she's not been, shocking. She's been kind of lining up and knocking out the movie musicals lately. She has been. I mean... And the fact, like, the dancing in this... Oh. <laughs> delicious it's just so good so i was really nervous about that in particular because Me this too. on broadway is a very dance forward show yes right like a lot of the narrative is expressed through dance and uh, i was nervous about that in a movie adaptation i was like how are we going to do that how are we going to focus on it how are we going to use it and like they didn't hold back these kids danced the house all the way down yeah like holy buckets holy charlie buckets Roll doll. Holy 
Holy these kids do be dancing. <laughs> the Guardian critic uh, Peter Bradshaw stated, the gleefully sly comedy kindred spirits of Thompson and Minchin come together to form this film's bedrock of naughtiness. Of naughtiness? Naughtiness. <laughs> um, and one, one that I really liked uh, was by Justin Chang of the LA Times. And he said, never a dull moment, but many dull moments. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that was that was a good one. That was good in oh, Justin Chang. Oh, yum, yum, yum. <laughs> Tasty. <laughs> um, but I just, and I, I was a little weary of this myself because I tend to not love listening to a bunch of children sing. I was so nervous for <laughs> I was you. So, I was so nervous. I, I, I genuinely think this is gonna become like one of one of my babies oh i will revisit this certainly definitely let's dive into some plot bays what was that last word gross <laughs> god damn it it's all just, it's just a terrible i i do such Bruce. a terrible terrible accent and My British isn't any UK, better. I'm so sorry. Yeah, sorry to our two listeners in the UK. But I hope, I hope that you're like, wow, what a silly American. Like that's what I hope. <laughs> I just, I enjoy <sighs> saying Bruce that way so much. It reminds me of Bruce from Nemo. Yeah. Fish are friends, not, not food. food. Bruce. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, isn't he Australian though? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Wow, really Australia forward episode today. Yeah, wow, down under. Um, if, if the continent of Australia would like to sponsor us, we <laughs> currently accepting sponsorships. <laughs> so we open up um, to this Wonka bar. Yeah, it's like this and I was little. Very confused I know. I was like, wait a moment. I was like, what the hell is happening? So um, it's it's a Wonka bar, and it rolls out to a golden ticket with. Uh, Rolled Doll's name on it. Yeah, which is, I, I guess... A part of his production company. Oh, okay. I didn't realize there was a whole production company. Yeah, there's like... It's, Remember it's that one time his, they did cereal? stories and stuff. Who did cereal? Wonka. Rolled Doll. I don't know that I... Do I? I don't know. You were the one who had the fact about it in the Willy Wonka episode. Did I? <laughs> <laughs> what are we going to cover Sword in the Stone? That's what that reference is. I... I as like, soon as we cannot quote it back and forth at each other throughout the entire episode, unless you guys just want that yeah, for yeah, bonus content. Sound off in the comments. I low-key like, don't want to do it because it's something so like personal and close to the both of us that I don't want to like, I don't want to watch dive it. Dive into it. Yeah, I don't want to watch it analytically. I feel like that ruins the magic. You guys aren't getting it. It's a, it'll be a secret forever. You know what we can do when we just, when we have a YouTube channel and this, that, and the other thing, you know what we can do? You want to do like a live react? Yeah. And It'd just be, be a like, fun oh, one to do. I love it. Oh, just you guys get to watch us watching it. <laughs> when I dream big, I think about like what we would do in like a live show kind of situation. Yeah. I think it would be that. Yeah. Like I would totally watch that live with an audience and like, you know, like. With our commentary. If we, like, yeah. If we, each, if we each have a remote, we can pause and like go back and forth with each other and like, like, you know, quote it back and forth live with each other. Yeah. I think that'd be fun. Yeah. Well, for us. I <laughs> <laughs> would you guys buy tickets to that? I would you? <laughs> You guys want to watch us watch a movie? 
Listen, we <laughs> know of an extremely small theater uh, that we. Can oh man, all in. I have the perfect like two hundred and what two hundred and six, two hundred and four, however yeah. many seats that theater is. It'd be perfect. Do you guys want to travel to a small town in Wisconsin? Because boy, oh boy, do I have the venue. Let's book it. All right. Booked Great. and blessed. We'll Anywho, we get this system. little Wonka moment. Yeah, we have, yeah, we'll bring our own sound system. Um, but we get the – we do, and it, it was I very like the Wonka cute. Bar. I, I liked it a lot. Also, this is a Sony Netflix production. Oh. When the hell was the last time you saw Sony pop up on a movie with uh, the unicorn and fucking everything? Probably Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man. I just – it's – it felt like so long since something like this has been produced by Sony. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, They've been too busy what the hell? making electronics and shit to do any movie production. Yeah, which is fine. I get it. I yeah, get it's it. fine. The, the movie landscape has been changing a lot in the past decade, so yeah. I would totally understand as a company if you're like, we own three movie properties and we've decided to not pursue any of them right now. <laughs> yeah. I get it. And we get this quote, to change the world, it takes a little genius. It takes a little genius. A mm-hmm. tiny genius. A tiny genius, but also like, it, it works in so many ways. I know, I really like the quote. And there's this little glimmer of light behind the letter U in the word genius. Because it's you. You're the little genius. You, listener. You have a little genius in you. Hey, now, don't, don't make that face at me. <laughs> Not that. So, um... We then, like, get into a musical number, which is also smattered in, an, like, the, the title sequence of, you know, people's names, this, that. The other thing are yeah, kind of yeah. smattered in it, which We I get, really like, our liked. opening credits blended into the opening number, which I think is so cool. Yes. Uh, the opening number is Miracle, and we come in on a hospital with a bunch of babies, and the Oh. Yeah. The singing... <laughs> The singing is so bad. It it's it is, but I it freaked I me had out. To, I had to hold out hope and be like, "This cannot be what the rest of this is." Oh if god, this movie did so well. I can't imagine a bunch of people would just be busting a nut over sh- like, over shitty shitty singing for two hours. Yeah, I was um, so nervous. I was like, "Oh god, is this gonna be forever?" And then is this how we die? Right. And then I had the thought, maybe it was intentional because it's infants. I mean, one can only hope. Yeah. We get a bunch of what seems to be disembodied voices singing about... I thought you were going to say disembodied babies. (laughs) No. Sorry. Um, Singing about, oh, well, my mom says that I'm a princess. My dad says... My mommy says says I'm a special little guy. That I'm I'm a... Could be a sports person or I could, you know, do all these different things. I could be a ballerina. Yeah. No one's ever seen a... Something, something, something. I don't know the words. Well, then why are you doing this? Why are we? Why do we do any of this? I don't. That's frankly, ah, <laughs> uh, I think it's because we have fun. It's for the money. I, yeah, <laughs> the money and the fame. You know. So anywho, the babies are singing. It gets really chaotic and crazy in this opening number. It does. There's, so we're going through this hospital, and it's it goes back and forth between the voices of these babies of being like, oh, my parents think I'm really special, to the parents. talking about oh my gosh and i've seen this we've had several friends now who have had kids and i have seen these conversations happen with with these new parents of oh my gosh is that advanced for their age oh my gosh is that this oh my you know my baby's special and i can prove it 
It's it's interesting because these are the things that happen have always happened. Yeah. And will continue to happen. And it just But spoiler alert, none of your babies are special. We're all boring. Wow. Sorry, that's the truth of the just matter. Shitting on everybody's new year. Sorry. I'm not sorry. I You're lied. Not sorry. I'm not. I'm You're really not, not. Um but no, I just I think it's sweet that it's you see all of these parents who are really excited to have their have their kid and get to see them become what they're going to become. And I just, I think that's precious and special. The set for this, by the way. Oh, the color palette at the hospital. Is stunning. So it's, it's color blocking. It's bright colors. There's no patterns. There's. The uniforms match. I mean, it's, yes. it's the perfect opportunity to do color blocking because you are in like a uniform setting. Right. And it's just bonkers banana pants. Like it's it's so good. It's so beautiful. This whole which is a thing that we come to find throughout this entire film is the color palette and the very intentional is so delicious and lends itself so well to the storytelling of this film. Yeah, it's a really great example of using color to tell your story really effectively. Exactly. So we're moving through and then we meet Mrs. Wormwood, who is fully nine months pregnant. Mrs. Wormwood should have been Leslie Margarita. You know? She originated the role on Broadway. You know? I think she might have actually originated it in the... Is that true? She might have been uh, Mrs. Wormwood on the West End, even. I'm going to find out. You keep going. You find out. So she's sitting in this doctor's office, and she's like, I'm not pregnant. Fully nine months pregnant. I mean, you... I mean, how could you mistake it for uh, anything else? Right. She's like, I'm not pregnant. You're just dumb. And the doctor's like, no, no, you are because you're literally <laughs> about to give birth. And she's like, no, I'm not. Boom, goes into labor. You are, though. We get these fantastic <laughs> vocals from this doctor of how he's like, I'm so always so excited to bring, you know, new life into this world, um, assisting these parents with this you know, monu- monumentous moment. Monumental moment. Um, Are you having a stroke? I might be. I am 98 after all. He um, really he really sings the entire house down. He really does. In my notes, I said, did we just go to an R&B concert? I mean, really. Because we get full on stage lighting back behind him. Everyone, He's got like a fun little choir back behind him. They're all wearing sequins. And he's singing about the fact of, you know, he always has hope for the future because of the new lives being brought into this world every day and how any one of these kids could end up changing the world and changing the future and making things better and brighter for everyone. And I just, I, I just warmed my little heart. It really did. So she gives, Mrs. Wormwood gives birth just Pops one out, not expecting to have a child. And we meet Mr. Wormwood, who's holding blue balloons, and it's a boy, and da-da-da, whatever. The doctor was like, oh, you have a daughter. You have a little girl. She's happy. She's healthy. She's she's doing great. And the dad's like, no, it's it's a boy, because I'm holding balloons that say it's a boy, so it's a boy. Because that's how uh, these things work. I mean, it's not, but whatever gets you through the day. Yeah. 
And the parents were so, the Wormwoods did not want a child. They were pissed about the fact that they had a child and let alone having a child, having a daughter was another issue. Then we flash to Matilda as like a five-year-old. Sure. Six. Growing up. Some, you know, in there. And she is on top of this vehicle. And I'm like, what the hell? She's like laying there and there's cushions and she was reading and she's got all of these books around her um, talking about how, because it's still that song, Miracle, that all these other kids were talking and singing about the fact that their parents find them so special and wonderful and that they're miracles. Yeah, we get, Matilda, we get a lot of really like heavily layered vocals here because yeah. Tim Minchin scores are inherently chaotic. Yeah. Like, they're then, so crazy. Right. But then we hear Matilda singing about how her parents hate her and think she is worthless and awful. And it's, tr- you know, there are some parents that truly feel that way about their children. Which yeah. Which is sad and gross. Um, but, so we get that juxtaposition there. We find out that she is on top of the traveling library. How exciting. What a neat concept. I loved it. And it was owned and run by Mrs. Phelps, who is, in this moment, Matilda's best friend. Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, Matilda's best friend would be, like, a like a really weird librarian. Yeah. Like a, like a librarian. Adult. Yeah, like a librarian, which makes sense, but also, like, Cookie. a weird librarian. Like, not a normal librarian. No. No. that It makes so much sense. It's yes. the only decision to make. Yes. And Mrs. Phelps is like, you know, don't, I'm sure your mom misses you. Why don't you head home? Because, and she was like, oh, I'll, I'll just finish up here while you're packing up. She's like, well, here's the thing, dear. Uh, I did pack up already and I am indeed closed. And that is why I am coming up here and telling you that you need to go home. You have to leave. (laughs) So she heads out and heads home. She gets home though. And she finds out that. There is a school inspector there. She's like, what the hell is going on here? Well, they're like, oh, Mr. and Mrs. Wormwood, you have a whole child. You never took her to school. What the fuck? So the school inspector and Mrs. Honey, or Miss Honey is there. And having a meeting with the parents, Miss Honey kind of breaks away when she sees Matilda And it's like, oh, I hear that you've been homeschooled, which is a fucking lie. And how would you like to be school schooled? How would you like to be school schooled? And she's like, well, what what does that look like? And she's like, you would come and I would teach you history and music and and literature. She's like, literature? Like books? Yeah. Oh, gosh. The way she lights up like a goddamn pinball machine. Just hoo hoo. She's so jazzed. She's so jazzed. And I'm just like, my heart. Um, and Miss Honey's like, yes, absolutely. Would, would you like to come with me? And Matilda hears her dad and is like, I have to go. And very clearly Miss Honey is like, I feel that this child is being neglected and or abused. I think she sees some pretty bright red flags. Yeah. And she's like, "Mm, what if I did something about this? This has got to happen. I got to tell you too. I absolutely love that Miss Honey who is canonically an angel, a hero, a perfect character. Yes. 
is played by a black actress. Yeah. We talk a lot on this podcast about racist tropes and subtle insidious racism that kind of sneaks its way into things. And I just want to take a moment to talk about good things that can happen in relation to race because Miss Honey's race is not important to her story in any way. No, it could litter. It could be anybody. It's completely irrelevant. It doesn't affect the way the story is told. It doesn't affect the way her character is perceived. Well, unless, of course, you're racist, then you probably have an opinion about it. Mm. But I just want to take a quick moment to talk about what it means to have, like, an altruistically good character played by a black actor. That's wonderful. Yeah. Every black character doesn't need to be a slavery allegory or or a character trope or they don't need to be breaking some mold, like... We can just let actors of any race tell stories that aren't relevant to race. Like, it doesn't have to default to white. And I just think that it's really cool that we took this moment, especially because she's a hero. I think it's great. Mm-hmm. Ten stars, big fan. Props to you, Netflix. And gal darn, I just love her voice. Oh my god, she's so talented. I just the holy is buckets. Great. Her voice, I. Uh, mm. Also, the original uh, Mrs. Wormwood on the West End was Josie Walker, not Leslie Margarita. But she did, Leslie Margarita did the role on Broadway, and I think she would have been great here. That's all. Okay, well, you heard it here. <laughs> Drake's opinion. We find out that after the school inspector, Miss Honey, left, that the parents are getting fined for not sending their kid to school. And the dad is pissed and is like, that's all your fault. How dare you? Uh, and it's because how dare you exist. How dare you cost me money. Right. Even though I've neglected you, and now it's come back to bite me in the ass. Right. Well done. Well done, Dad. Yeah. And he is talking about Truncham Hall and how she's going to start going to school there, and he talked to the the headmistress, uh, Miss Trunchbull. He He says Trunchbull. Yeah. And I always hear trunchable, and I know that's not how it's spelled. It's not how it's spelled or pronounced. No, tr- are... but trunchable? <laughs> yeah. Trunchable. Trunchable. Yeah. I feel like we're saying the same thing. Yeah, to me, there's like, whatever. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> whatever. So she uh, is so excited that she gets to go to school, but the fact that her dad has told the headmistress that she is a problem a problem child and and an ingrate and all all of these things and she's like no i'm not that way why do you tell people these things now she's gonna hate me and it's gonna be terrible well honey that's that's why your dad right has said these things that's what abusive parents do babe well um so he goes down and him and her mom are watching tv and eating popcorn or whatever. We get the song Naughty. I just want to point out the Wormwood's costumes. They are on 10 constantly. So, I mean... They look so good. The design for this movie... It's really great. Look around at the house that they're in. I mean, it it screams people with terrible taste that have money. Rob Howell is the guy who did the costume design on this. And I couldn't find any other credits or information about him, but he did a knockout job on this. I truly, because it, 
costumes and just like clothing are, they tell you a lot about a person. Yeah, it feels like every aspect of this movie is working on overdrive to do the storytelling. And damn. And they're really doing it. They tell a story. Yeah, they, they really work it here. Um, there's a sense of magical surrealism that we're using in this film. And we use it in the stage production too. But it just feels like a lot of these sequences as we move through them, like the opening sequence in particular, feels really chaotic on stage. And you move through locations really quickly. And nothing really ever settles to be like a concrete room. Right, because we're dealing with magical surrealism, so a lot of it, a lot of it is uh, suggested locations and not really like a concrete place. And we're just able to do more location-wise with the medium of film. So as we move through those like flexible locations, we can do more with like the realism part of the surrealism. And I just think it flows better. Like they just they all seem to function the way they're intended to better. Yes, I just it I think the same thing about this first this first naughty section. Nardy section? The first naughty section. Um yes, because naughty is one of those songs that comes back has um, you know. There's really only like three songs in this whole musical and then they just reprise them over and over and over again in different mashups and stuff. But but yeah, it just feels like they work better. There's a moment here, are you done? Are you no, quite I'm well? Dying. Oh my god. I'm dying. Why don't you leave me alone? Pull yourself together. There's a moment here where Matilda does like a like a back walk over or a cartwheel or something. She does some kind she of gymnastic both. tricks. Yeah, yeah, it gets crazy and I'm like it it just takes you just a little bit past reality, right? Like we live in a very grounded. We do some really traumatic things in this movie and we do a lot of grounded stuff. But then we do the really fanciful kind of uh dream sequence sort of thing and the reason that it's a little dreamy is because she's doing it on a roof yeah yeah that's an important part yeah she's like waltzing around on the roof well sure and we're gonna see some of them later but but this it, it extends beyond reality right right it's in these moments of joy and happiness that we push past physical reality and we start doing fanciful things and i i just think it's handled really well and it it reads so well in the format of film this song talks about the fact that life is your story and you can change the dialogue at any point. It is up to you to change it, but you can. And how sometimes to change it, you have to be a little naughty. You have to do the quote unquote something wrong or breaking rules and things sure. like that. You want to win the game, you got to break the rules. Yeah. Sometimes that's how it goes. Yeah. So she fully puts peroxide in her dad's hair oil in this bathroom. And her dad comes up because he hears her making a bunch of racket and is like, she's fucking up our room or she's doing something bad. She sneaks out the window and climbs up on the roof, which is when we get all of these like several acrobatic things that she does. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the dad puts the hair oil in his hair. It's a hair tonic. A hair tonic? Yeah. Not that there's a difference, but still. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, his hair turns green. And it is like an atomic green. This green is the green that all of the queers of today strive for. <laughs> and he got it for free. Do you follow the goth sconsonite on TikTok? I don't know if I do. Maybe. 
She's really cool. She tells ghost stories and and cryptid lore about yes. Wisconsin. Yep. She's so cool. I love her account, and I hope to meet her someday because I think she's rad as hell. But uh, it's it's that color green. Yes. It's hodag green. Hodag. <laughs> Y'all know about the hodag? You know about her? Has anybody told you about her? You ever been hodagging? Hodagging. Gotten up to some hodaggery? Hodags. Hodags. Well, we're not here to tell you about what a We're not. Is. You'll have to look it up on your own time. <laughs> so next we move to Crunchum Hall. Yes. Matilda heads out. She This is her first day at school. She is so excited that she gets there an entire hour early. I don't know that she knows that it's an hour early because who was going to tell her what time school started? No, she not just wanted parents. to get the fuck out of her house. She was right. like, gotta go. And Mrs. Phelps shows up because she is driving to her next location. So each day she's in a different spot in the city because, again, it's a traveling library, which is different than the movie. And I don't know if this is more true to the original, but to me, I love it because it means that Mrs. Phelps is one of those people that will just appear. Yeah, sort of a Mary Poppinsy vibe about it. Yeah. And yeah. I just, I, she just, poof. Now, supposedly, a library van. Mary Poppins has a bunch of cousins who all do weird magic of their own. Yeah, have their own like extra special thing. Like when we meet Topsy Turvy in Mary Poppins Returns. Yep. I have a feeling Mrs. Phelps might be one of those. I think so. I think that I think she definitely could be a relation. Listen, I think Roald Dahl and the Mary Poppins megaverse probably have a little bit of crossover. Oh, I'd believe it. I'd watch that movie. I, you know, I would too. So Mrs. Phelps is there and she is talking to Matilda um, about like, oh, what are you, what are you doing here so early? You know, different things like that. And she's like, oh, I'm heading down to the river because she starts, she comes in, Matilda comes into her little bookstore on wheels. Van? Van. This episode is going to be three hours long because you're just over here having a series of strokes. (laughs) Yeah, it's casual. Um, So she she goes in and she's like, I have this story and it just it feels like it's like going to fizz out of me and I don't know what to do with it. And I'm very excited because Miss Honey told me that she's going to teach me how to write write stories in school now. And so she starts telling this story about these circus performers it is about... They're doing an act. It's the escapologist <laughs> and the trapeze artist. And the act is called The Burning Woman Hurling Through the Air with Dynamite in Her Hair Over Sharks and Spiky Objects Caught by the Man Locked in the Cage. Right. Say that three times fast. <laughs> right. I can barely say it one time. So um, there is the acrobat, which is the lady, and then the... Um, escapologist. Escapologist. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you even? And um, they're they're in love and they've found each other and they do these acts and they're so excited and the one thing that they really want out of life is to have a child. Right. They have everything they could ever want except for a child together. Right. And they there's just so much love between them and they are working so hard at having a child and they don't get to. And so they have to, they keep making their their feats of wonder even bigger and more dangerous because they're like well what the hell's the point and they're feeling very sad about this 
we flip-flop back and forth, and this happens several times throughout the film, between this circus story and the real-life story that we're telling. And this is another set of sequences that, like, just reads so much more useful, practical, effective. I don't know what word I'm looking for, but they just read so much better in movie format because when you do this on stage, you have to kind of, like, stop all the action and like change the location and whether that's done in like a vignette or like a small suggestive set that you roll on and roll off, like whatever it is, you have to kind of like stop the commotion to do these little snippets, which are integral to moving the story forward. Right. Yes. Because they tell a sort of like shadow story to the story that we're telling. So they're important, but you have to kind of stop everything to get at them. And this is the time. So when I, So after she's done telling this one portion of the story, Miss Phelps is so enthralled by it. And because at one point, Matilda takes Mrs. Phelps into the story. You will see... Like grabs her by the hand and they walk into... Into the circus tent. The circus tent, tent, yeah. And and you see them like up in... You know, later on, you see them like up in the They become a part of the audience in the tent. and Yeah, they're part of the story that's being told. And it's... And I was baffled and thinking, how would you do? Because I've never seen this live. Obviously, a very good, a good use of the medium. A good some, use of the as medium, as someone uh, would say. And I just, I was fascinated by how in the hell they would even tell that, or if that was an added thing for the movie. Yeah, it, it not that it doesn't work, especially when you have the money to pull it off, but it just feels clunkier on stage, and it feels it feels almost like some of these sequences were written for the medium of film and not the stage. And I th- I think the thing though is that it felt like this is how the story came back home. Uh, that's a- I think, absolutely it. I think that that's why because it's they did what they did on the stage, but when it came back and was a movie again they were able to do really great and wonderful things with it the story came home i love that thanks you're a poet i thanks i didn't even know that so what happens next so the bell rings she's got to get to her first day of school (gasps) is this where we meet the prefects yes oh i love this number yes so we meet lavender and isaac so Lavender is the, <laughs> the gal who's starting at the same time um, and has missed the beginning portion of this semester. Um, and Isaac is her little newt. Isaac Newt. Isaac Newt. Mm. Mm? No. <laughs> Isaac Newton. I think that's clever. It's, it's cute. Um, and then we get School Song, which is the story of these older kids, the kids who have been in this school of being like, well, get fucking ready, because this school is a prison. We're going to teach you the alphabet. You don't know the alphabet because until we like, teach oh, you the alphabet. Because it's because I already know the alphabet. And they're like, Girl, you, you don't, don't know, know shit about shit. And we're going through. There's a rock score. Oh, my God. And this is an, this update, from, this is an update from the musical, right? This is a, we get some rock guitar and... Whoo, mm, oh, oh. We love, we love a rock update. I love a rock update. Especially when it has anything to do with rebellion. Yeah, absolutely. I love having that underneath there. I'm also really grateful we didn't stick with the bad singing kids. 
Yes. That we were like the vocals kick in and I was like, ah, so oh. I feel that beginning bit was intentional because they Oof. were supposed to be infants. I mean it must have been, and I guess in retrospect I kind of understand the decision. But yeah. also I hate it and I'm really glad that it's better now. Yes. <laughs> I the the vocals were great. The I cannot stop talking about the choreo. It's so to good. Anybody that I've talked to about this, the choreo. Again, Damn. I was so worried that it wasn't gonna be that, but the choreo really does kick ass. So, because sometimes what you get in movie musicals, right, is a cast that doesn't have the embodiment of the choreography the way people who it's on eight times a week right, have it. Right, right. There's, but the the crispness of everything, it was so sharp energy through every single movement literally rent was due for every single one of these kids and they were getting paid today the lines on like whole, like when they grab their lapels and oh, they're walking yeah. oh shit yeah when every little detail it's these when, kids kicked the shit out of this choreography when i tell you i can tell the difference between choreography that was rehearsed in front of a mirror and and choreography that wasn't Every time. this These kids had mirrors, and they lined up every single joint, line, button, and period. I mean, this it's so it's so fantastic to watch. Because in the beginning, we get this great choreo with the bars of a, of a gate for the school. Yes. And, you know, playing with different levels and of movement with the bars and everything. It just... It's so fantastic. Then we get the this alphabet theme of because lavender is like, oh well, I know my alphabet, and the 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 prefix the older kids are like, well, you don't know the alphabet yet. Let us teach you. Yeah. And so they're going through, and every single word that they say when they get to a classroom, because each classroom is listed A through Z, mm-hmm. and it either has is the letter that the word they're punctuating starts with or a sound it rhymes with the letter or, right. and it's all like, like uh, a agony, B brutality. Like all the letters are like all the various ways you're going to get tortured while you're fucking here. Right. And I just, <laughs> it's very clever. It's, it was so good and it continued for so long. I did not think they were going to make it through the whole alphabet, but they did. And it was, they made it through the whole school and Z is Miss Honey's room. We get there and the kids have to like, they have five seconds to get into their classrooms because we see that Miss Trunch, uh, Trunchbull has cameras. She has an eye on every corner of the building. And she just sits in her office watching video footage. Creepy. Yeah, she's looking for victims. I know she's an awful woman, but it's, (laughs) it's creepy as hell. Now we're in this we're in the sanctity of Miss Honey's room. God bless. And they must have taught a night school there for adults. Yeah, she mentions that the, her room is used for adult classes at night. Yes. So um, so there's an equation up on the board that is like like a massive like multi level ridiculous equation. yeah something crazy and bonkers. And uh, she. Uh, this kid, Nigel, is just panicking that that's what they're learning today. Yeah, he says it, it makes my head hurt. He's staring at this equation, and he starts freaking out, and he makes the stupidest face. I think Nigel's about to poop himself. He might shit. Nigel's going to poop his pants. Listen. <laughs> listen. He might have had the start fart. 
you know, maybe he was b- battling a start fart. He, he and you have. know what, Nigel? We support you. You let that start fart fly. <laughs> Except maybe get to the bathroom because if you're oh, going to, like, Oh, yeah. Maybe, that's what the yourself. start fart is for. I guess you're right. Yeah, don't shit yourself. When you're right, you're right. Right. So Miss Honey starts passing out books and she's like, okay, I need someone to polish off the board. Matilda, will you polish off the board? Right. Meaning to wipe it clean, but Matilda takes it as, oh, you finished the equation. To polish off the equation. Right. She goes up there and she solves the equations and Miss Honey turns around and is like, what are you doing? I'm polishing it off. She's like, uh. No, I meant like wipe it off. And she's like, is is this math right? And she's like, yeah. And she's like, oh, is math. And she starts talking about like what type of equation Matilda does mm-hmm. about what type of equation this is. And right. Like, oh, it's whatever. part of a sequence. So I finished that one. And then I thought, oh, they must know if, you know, this and this and this are variables that it's part of sequence. So she started answering the sequence. So it's like this series of answers. And she's like six or seven answers deep. And Aunt Mizani's like, the fuck? Right. And so then she turns to her and she said, okay, um, how the fuck do you know that? Because she's like, oh, is math your favorite subject? I know you were homeschooled. Da-da-da. No, hardly. And she's like, no, math's all right. I really love reading, though. And she talks about all of these books that she has read this week. And she lists off, like... Of like Mice and Men. Moby The Lord Dick. of the Rings. Yeah, just things that I can't get all the way through because they bore me to tears. And she's read all of these this past week. Yeah. Wild. Wild. And Miss Honey realizes, oh my god, I have this kid that needs to be above and beyond where she's at right, right we now. need to excel this child right miss honey goes to trunchable is like hey so i just want to let you know that uh matilda wormwood and trunchable cuts her off and is like ah wormwood yes yeah, she's a, a piece of shit I've been warned about her. Thank you for bringing her to my attention. I will destroy her promptly. And she's like, no, 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 no. That's not what I mean. I'm, I'm talking to you about her because I think that she is very advanced and needs to be put ahead. And Trunchable is like, well, that's against, that's goes outside of the rules. And, and Honey's like, well, I think that she could be the exception to the rule. Cue up the next number. Trunchable gets into the next number about how just god-awful kids are and how she wouldn't have been able to win this championship. Oh, this is Throw the Hammer. Yes. If you want to throw the hammer. Yes. I love this song. It's so ridiculous, and Emma Thompson is phenomenal. She is a force. The makeup job on this woman. Oh, my God, transformative. Literally, like, her jaw is a different shape. So unrecognizable. I, I watched an interview with her where she talked about the process of becoming Trunchbull and the the original concept was much bulkier, was like all of these like a full bodysuit, a full prosthesis. Like they wanted her like from fingertip to like the to like her neck. They wanted to put her in prosthesis. Jeez. And yeah, and, and she was like, Well, no, I don't think that's necessary. I don't think we need to build up my arms, we don't need to build up my legs, we don't need to like change we need to change my proportions certainly but we don't need to change the shape of my body add a girl yeah so so she fought we both have big opinions on fat suits in in film it's almost never necessary in film in stage no it's it's i mean with very 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 rare exception it's not necessary you don't need to do it and uh, I, I like the work that they've done here on her with like the jaw prosthetic and they changed her nose too just to keep her face 
proportionate because after they had changed her jaw, she said her nose looked out of place on her face because it just didn't match proportionately with the rest of her head anymore. Right. And so they changed that and they do change her, her, proportions yeah her bust is certainly much larger she's wearing platform shoes that make her significantly taller um i think her hips are a bit padded out which when we see later when she has like the skirt and sweater moment um and so hers kind of teeters on a place for me but i i do love it's like inching on drag it's almost drag yeah yeah i mean it's almost and trunchbull is meant to be a villain she's like it's almost monster makeup in my opinion yeah so so i don't i I don't i don't hate all of the things that happen here i really like especially the facial prosthesis that they do i think again it's just transformative and we've seen her do such amazing things she was mrs potts in beauty the beast where she's this really really soft warm loving character um she was in cruella with Emma Stone where she plays this very like regal she's a villain in that one as well but she's much more like um elegant regal beautiful like stunning gowns there's a a sort of statuesque stature about her she's very refined and and gorgeous in that and here we get to see her do a villain again but in a very like gnarly verging on like movie monster kind of moment and I think she she really showcases her range here I mean, because straight up, she plays the divination professor in Harry oh, Potter. Oh, yeah. She plays Professor Trelawney in Harry Potter. And let me tell you something. Up until like a year or two ago, I did not know that was Emma Thompson. Someone was like, yeah, and she's like in Harry Potter. I was like, no, she's not. where? She's Professor Trelawney. And I love that character. And it's just one yeah, of those well, things. Yeah, well, it's because it's Emma Thompson and she well, can do no wrong. And I, yeah, good she, job, Ms. Thompson. She really does the damn thing here. And this number, this song ends in like a flag dance. And, oh, uh, my God. The flag, the flag choreo. <laughs> it's, it's all really good except for the flag dancing that Emma Thompson does where she just kind of walks back and forth across a balcony. But I think waving, that's right. It's so but funny I, to but me. But I think that like... That leans into who Trunchable as a person is. Hysterical. She's not elegant. She's no, not, at all. She doesn't know her body outside of, you know, throwing the hammer. You know, <laughs> I, it's just it's just not a not a thing that she really does well. And meaning Trunchable, not Emma Thompson. Right. Right. I feel like that's an important distinction. <laughs> So Matilda heads back home and the dad keeps calling Matilda a boy and being like, oh, Matilda, or being like, "Is oh, is that the boy? Is the boy home? And Matilda's like, I'm a girl. And uses like him, like he, him pronouns for Matilda. Um, this is what ignorant old people look like with uh, trans kids and i don't want to close that off just to old people young people can do this too uh, young people but can when do you this. when you actively purposely misgender a trans person this is what you sound like this is what you look like so frankly if you need an example yeah. to show people in your life that like are not respecting your pronouns right. or, show them this or, clip real you know, quick and be like does be this like, do you, do you understand how stupid this character looks like you agree with me that this character looks dumb in this moment. Well, that's you, babe. So... <laughs> that's what it is. Right. Trans rights. Right. So he is getting pissed with the fact that she's reading these books, and because he is talking about how he, because he's a used car salesman, and this guy showed up and wanted to purchase this car. 
and he wanted a luxury vehicle and he was like, well, I didn't have one, but I had, I had two of them, but one had the front end smashed and one had the back end smashed. And so I, I'm going to cut them in half, put them together and sell this guy, this car. We're going to finally have money again. And she's talking about how this is wrong, how this, you know, and they're like, oh, it's these books. She's just awful. Filling your head with nonsense. Right. And he's like, grapes can't be angry because she's holding the grapes of wrath. Which, by the way, no, like, 10-year-old should have the constitution to read the grapes of wrath. No. So she is like, don't he? And he fully tries to rip this book apart. Oh my god! And he tries so hard for so long, for so long, and so then he funny. Like pulls out a knife or something and starts like ripping this book apart. No, he just opens the book and rips the pages oh, out. Is yeah, it, yeah. I, okay, I was in the middle of taking a note, so I didn't look up and I thought. <laughs> well, I this heard movie something. does move wicked fast, so it's really e- I missed stuff too. It's really easy yeah. to do, yeah. despite the fact that we pause the movie when we do these things. Like it's it's you just really easy pause to miss. Every five yeah. seconds, you're not gonna make it's it easy to miss details. Exactly. So she decides, uh, Matilda decides that she, you know, is going to do something naughty again and puts glue in the top of her dad's hat. She is a vengeful anarchist. At a girl. She doesn't care how the system comes down as long as it comes down. Yeah. I'll tell you what. (laughs) I like that about her. Exactly. (laughs) She does that and then. And then we're back at the school, I believe. Yes. So they're talking, the kids are outside and this one kid is talking about telekinesis and like, wow, I don't know how you hold all of those brains in your head. How do you do that? Is, you know, can you, does it feel like things are going to squish out of your eyes? Right. Cause you're so full of brains. Right. Um, and they're talking about how. The older kids are, you know, because one kid is like, well, we need to be careful because I heard that Trunchbull, uh, because they don't want, Trunchbull does not want kids to be smart. So they're like, don't act smart because otherwise you're going to get in trouble. You'll get get sent to the chokey. And they're talking about, they talk about the chokey. They talk about the fact that um, Trunchbull, like, had full on thrown a kid out a window, you know, and this, that, and the other thing. And she's like, that's not Matilda's like, that's not real. Like, People can't don't do that. throw kids out windows. Right. And then we get the song, the choky chant. It's the older kids being like, you have no idea Dislike. what's coming for you. And I need you to understand it. It is a really cool number on this like jungle gym set that they do. It but is. it is creepy. <laughs> but it, and that, that's what it's supposed to do, though. Right. Mm-hmm. Is it's a song about a torture device. Gross. And Bruce is here. Telling stories and he's eating Cheeto puffs. Just. Just mowing on him. Just every, between every word, he's got a Cheeto puff in his mouth. I am Bruce. It's me. I was like, ooh, I relate to this little kid so hard. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Fake cheese, crunchy anything. Oh, yeah. I I literally have a barrel of cheese puffs in my pantry right now. And he does indeed mean a barrel. A barrel of them. A barrel. A barrel. Nigel comes out and is freaking out because he is like, oh, my God, something's going, like... Trunchable thinks that I put glue on her seat and I didn't, but she's blaming me because what we find with Trunchable is the fact that she will blame anybody for anything. And she she'll has blame, no basis for it. She'll blame the nearest target she can take her anger out on. It doesn't, it doesn't have to have a reasoning. She's just no. looking for a target and whatever's nearby is what it's going to be. And this time it was Nigel and she, and he was like, please, please help me, please. 
And Matilda does. And she's like, everybody take your Nigel lay down. Everybody take your, your, um, blazer. Blazer's blazer off. is the word you want. I was like, <laughs> jacket. my I, God. Yeah. It's, it's getting bad out here. Um, and by out here, I mean in here points to brain. So <laughs> audio medium points, well, to brain. points to brain. Um, so stacks of blazers and Trunchbull comes out blowing her whistle which means that the kids have to get lined up. Matilda doesn't quite get to her spot, and Trunchbull tells her to stop. Stop right there, maggot. Yeah, where, where's Nigel? And she says, oh, he's underneath the blazers. And, and everybody's like, you broke that fucking quickly? Was this not your idea? Face palm moment. They're like, God fucking damn it, Matilda. But she had a reason. So she's like, yeah, so... Nigel suffers from narcolepsy and she explains what that is in like medical terms. Yeah. And is like, well, we put the blazers over him for safety. And he's been there for the last hour. Because she had asked Nigel earlier, when did all this happen? And he said 20 minutes ago. Right. So she's like, oh, he's under the blazers where he's been for the last hour. And this whole speech gives like really heavy Hermione Granger vibes. Oh, fully. I really liked it. Fully. So, Trunchable's like, the past hour, fuck, it couldn't be him. Like, does not think any, you know. And she ends up asking Matilda, oh, and so who are you? Oh, Matilda Wormwood. Oh, I've heard about you, you piece of shit. I say piece <laughs> of shit. No one in this movie calls a kid a piece no, of shit. No, they call them maggots. Mag- and several other things as well. Like, there's yeah. so many different names. As a matter of fact, in the in the throw the hammer song, there's like a moment where she makes all the kids sing with her, and they say the the like the creed of the school, the motto, and it's like all ki- all children are maggots or something in Latin. Children, uh, children are maggots. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. like the school's motto, <laughs> which is fucking wild. Um, we get a glimpse of Bruce on the way out here too, and I wrote down: Is Cheeto Puffboy in a fat suit? Yeah. It's just a moment as we pan back out, but I was like, wait a minute. Hold that thought because I'm going to come back to it. But I was like, I don't know if, I don't know right, if. like, hold on a minute. Is, is that, that true? Is that what I saw? Hmm. So, Trunchable is pissed because now she can't take out her anger on Nigel. And she can't just blame another kid for it. So, she sees this other girl wearing pigtails. And she marches up to her and says, I told you to not wear pigtails anymore. But my mommy thinks they're cute. Yeah. And your mommy's stupid. And she picks her up by her pigtails, just like she does in the original movie, and like hammer throws her. Over the fence and she lands. And then Trunch literally says, can someone just go make sure she's alive? (laughs) Are you kidding? And she's talking to Matilda because uh, Matilda's like, that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. And she ends up saying later on over the speaker, Trunchable does, Matilda, you can never win. And I got to tell you, if anybody told me that as a child or even now, congratulations. You just ruined your own life. <laughs> I would come at you with a vengeance. Burn of a thousand suns. I've never seen you work harder at anything than something that someone said you couldn't do. I'm like, oh, really? Hmm. And then the audacity just comes right out of me. (laughs) 
Um, Especially if it was a white man who told you you couldn't. Oh my god. Nothing, nothing motivates you like spite. You in particular. You in particular. Nothing. Just the, oh, my face got hot when you said (laughs) what a white man tells you no. Oh, rage. Okay. So anyway, now we have another escapologist and the and the trapeze artist scene. Exactly. So Matilda is with Mrs. Phelps and they are at at the river. Telling more of the story. And talking about the fact that now the they can't do that really long obnoxious act. They can no longer perform the burning woman hurling through the air with dynamite in her hair over sharks and spiky objects caught by the man locked in the cage because... Because the acrobat is pregnant. She is with child. Oh my God, the thing that they've always wanted. And so, because they had a packed house, right? And this is where we see Matilda and Mrs. Phelps in the audience. audience. And they're like, oh my God. And no one cared because they were just all so happy and excited for her. And... The acrobat comes out and she's standing there and they're giving her a standing ovation. And turns out the acrobat had an evil stepsister who says, I have a contract and you need to fulfill this. You have to do the stunt anyway. I don't give a fuck that you are pregnant. A contract is a contract is is a a contract, contract, which echoes... What Trunchable had said in Trunchable the Trunchable said earlier, a promise is a promise is, is a, a promise. promise. Right. She says that after, says Matilda, you can never win. That, and that's a promise. And a promise is a, a promise, promise is a promise. promise. So they perform this feat, right? And it's terrifying. And they're like, oh my God, I can't believe this. I can't believe this. And she ends up performing it everything's fine they throw the dynamite explosions happen but unfortunately the acrobat falls from the sky and breaks every single bone in her body mrs phelps as the adult in the room is like what in the fuck because she was like oh my god i love when stories have a happy ending but the promises promises promise happens and then that's what sparks this next portion of the story. Mrs. Phelps is getting very concerned with the fact that the story is always taking such a dark turn. And she doesn't know the truth behind Matilda's home life. Because Matilda like keeps making up stories of like, no, it's really great. My mom tells me that I'm really special and wonderful. And and, da, da, da. and Mrs. Phelps is like, I, I don't think like that's true. In this scene, though, I just... I have another note of, I just love the coloring of everything. The clothes, the lighting, the set pieces, the just, it's so beautiful and such a shift from the schoolyard, which even the lighting is dimmer. It's such a nice use of, I feel like in the circus scenes, we get such a wonderful exhaustive red. Yes. That kind of paints everything and it colors, everything in that scene is red. Even if it's another color, it's still a red. Yep. And it's not a color we lean into anywhere else in the movie, which is so effective. Right. They keep it for just the circus. Yeah. It's a really clever use of color. Matilda is back at at, um, school. (laughs) She's back at uh, um, At, uh, um, uh, Skrull. They're in the the lunchroom. They're in the lunchroom. Yes. Miss Honey says, Matilda, come here. I have a plan. I'm going to teach you separately. And if you have questions... 
after I give you these books and you can learn on your own, then let me know and I will try to help you as best as possible. Does that sound like a plan? And Matilda hugs her just so tightly to the point. I sobbed. She has a moment where like she looks up at Miss Honey with a book in her hand and you just see her eyes get so wide and then she just collapses into a hug. Oh, my heart. Oh, I was sobbing. I, I shouldn't say sobbing. I teared up. Yes. They get caught hugging by Miss Trunchable and is like, I told you that she is a worthless worm, awful human. How dare you? She's not supposed to get special treatment. I specifically told you so. Blah, blah, blah. Yell, yell, yell. Then she says, you know, someone ate my chocolate cake. I think it was you to Matilda and drags her up on this stage area that she has in this lunchroom. Because she has a pedestal in the lunchroom. Because, of course, she does. <laughs> and she says, all right, Matilda, you need to own up to it and you will get punishment. And if you say that you didn't do it, then you will also get punished. And as she is saying, I did not eat Bruce Burps. Oh, my God. The longest burp of my life a demon enters his body and he becomes the exorcist cloud of orange and purple (laughs) and i'm not joking guys a cloud of orange and purple like bruce leans back unhinges his jaw and burps for like a solid 35 seconds and then this this and then a chalky waft (laughs) rolls across the cafeteria (laughs) And bur- the bubble bursts right in front of Trunchable. I hate it. And then Emma Thompson does the worst thing that she could have possibly done in this moment. She, like, she, she like, slurps. slurps the air. She literally goes. I was horrified. Because I was like, why? Why would I do that? She does that. And I'm just like... It's terrible. It's the worst sound I've oh ever heard. Oh, my God. Heard. And then this this other teacher guy is sitting there, and he's like, mmm, chocolatey. What? <laughs> and then all of the teachers leave, except Miss Honey. They're like, oh, shit's about to go down. We We're going to go. Also, all of the adults who work here look like they are held together by, like, chewing gum Scotch and hope. tape in a dream? Not yeah. tape. No, tape is far too sturdy. Chewing gum. <laughs> chewing gum and hope. It just, truly, though, it's like, um, what the hell? Except Miss Honey. So so now we're entering the iconic cake eating scene, right? Before we get to it, I want to take a quick moment because we do get a pretty clear shot of Bruce here. And he is indeed wearing a fat suit. And it's not like a good fat suit. Like It's like he's right a, around like a spare tire and then like it looks like a pillow was shoved yeah, in like, his shirt at one point. His proportions are fluffed up like all the way up to his chin. And he just looks like he's stuffed full of pillows. And it was so unnecessary. It just, I don't know. It just looked. Like, what does his weight have to do with this, the storytelling that's happening here? And I know that in this song, they end up saying things like, make make it worth the fact that you have a giant, like, behind. Okay, and, like, all of fine. all these things and da, 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 whatever. So then you have two options. Either change the words to reflect the actor you're using or, or hire, hire a fat a, actor. Yeah. 
like what is the point of it i don't know it it seemed it seemed odd and it was like whenever things like this happen you have to take a step back and say is the reason this character is fat so that we can make a fat joke if a person's body type is a punchline you need to reevaluate the lyricism that you've that you've landed on right like there are i was one of these kids there are plenty of like toothpick rail thin kids who can pack away a full chocolate cake oh hell yeah there's no reason that this kid needs to be fat no like narratively it did not need to happen and so while there i do like i said with trunchbull's prosthetics and body modifications i think that there's a little bit of gray area do i think that they needed to change her body no i think she could have been perfectly emma thompson sized and still been just fine and if they wanted to do like a height thing i feel sure. like that's differently i don't disagree boot. with platform shoes i don't disagree with like broadening her shoulders with the costume do i think she needed to have like a breastplate and have her hips padded out just the largest no. breasts you've ever seen no and i understand they were trying to build a character who was larger than life and a, a villain who physically was larger in stature than everyone around them right but you did not need to change the shape of Emma Thompson's body. That I don't think was necessary. And I certainly don't think you needed to stuff a, a, a child full of marshmallow and pillows yeah. to make a chocolate cake scene work. Like, it's just, it's inexcusable in my opinion. I don't think it was necessary. And the only time that I really do think a fat suit is even allowable is when you're dealing with pop culture touchstone and even then it's not always necessary right like if you're dealing with a character who is known for their body type whose body type is important to the character like say like fat albert for example that's maybe a time when you would have to like pad out a character an actor for the character but even then just hire a fat actor it's just the the time the amount that it is excusable is so 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 slim and it's not excusable here this was unnecessary and it really put a damper on my mood when it happened yeah it was weird but then we have the cake scene it's and it it is quite pleasant right so trunchable brings out the cake and says bruce you have to eat this whole thing in every crumb and if you do all will be forgiven and we will never talk about this again and then she says... Miss Honey says, that, that that will make him sick. And she's like, yeah, well, she should have, he should have thought about that. When he made a pact with Satan <laughs> and ate my Before he made a cake. pact with Satan. <laughs> I wrote that line down, too. I loved that line so much. Made a pact with Satan and too. ate my cake. I'd feel that way if anybody ate my cake. How dare you? Then we get the song Bruce. Um, I'm again, sorry. Bruce. <sighs> Fine. I, again, I love that they preserved the danciness of the live show here. Yes. So the, the lyrics essentially are just kids going back and forth on whether or not they think that he can do it, but also chanting and being like cheering him on you can come on yeah. bruce there's a um, moment where it shifts and they all put on like sequin blazer uniforms and, and like the lighting shifts to be stage lighting stuff yeah and yeah, it yeah. Just, it's stunning and i absolutely loved it and 
so Bruce does the damn thing. He eats the whole cake. And the thing that cuts us out of this dreamscape that we're in is Miss Honey just screaming. Oh my God. She screams bloody murder. And when I tell you that they adapted this bitch, like the hard shift on the scream is so effective. This is what movie musicals can do. Yeah. This like on stage stuff cannot. This is what an adaptation should feel like. Yes. Oh, they're, they're so right on the money with it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So he ate it all and Trunchable gets pissed it's so like, mad. you're going to the chokey. And he's like, no, but I, I did the thing. No, that was only part one of your punishment. And Matilda stands up for Bruce and is like, no, this, this is wrong. You, you're a cheat. You're a liar. You're changing you, the rules. You're changing the because rules. Because you lost. That's not fair. Right. And Trunchable drags Bruce out these... Um, swinging doors? The swinging doors. And... They keep swinging a little bit and Matilda's pissed and is focusing on these doors and they keep swinging. And in this moment, we realize that it's Matilda moving the doors with her mind. Kids are leaving school and they start to sing the song When I Grow Up. Now, we taught this song. It was in one, of, in one of our show choir shows when we were teaching. Which also was a show about um, teenage rebellion. Yeah. In the best way. In the best way, yeah. Possible. Yeah. So we both have a sort of personal attachment to this song. I started crying. I did too. I really love this take on the song. Like I was blubbering. Oh. Because it's one of those <laughs> things of like, it was, it's, it's a mix of where it's at in the story and what, because before when I taught this song to kids, I knew it in the context of our show. I did not know it in the context of this show and the age of these kids and just the want to keep the things that are important to them now Mm -hmm. into adulthood. Well, because I think we have a delusion that kids don't see the troubles of the world from their perspective at that age. Right. We think from our perspective that their world is all snack breaks and toy blocks and it's just not no not even close i mean i remember being a grade schooler and like thinking wow the world's really messed up yeah like i was like 10 or 12 and being like wow the world around me is like really complicated yeah i mean when we were little like when we were like about first grade is when 9-11 happened here in America. Yeah. I mean, especially our generation has been so present in the conflict of the world. Mm-hmm. And we, we grew up in, in an age where social media made it really accessible to us. Yeah. And it, it wasn't something that anybody before like us. First generation. That right. Had no that. one could prepare us for it. So we just kind of floundered through it. And, and yeah, I, I think that's just a misconception we have about young people is that they don't understand the complexities or the the strangeness or the downright nastiness of the world, but they do. And and sometimes it's not even just the world; it's it can be their world, their yeah, home their life, bubble. I mean, their, yeah, like it's it's not just the lightheartedness that everybody thinks that kids have, but despite right. that, there still is this. These kids in this song are talking about when I grow up, 
I'm going to eat sweets every day. I'm going to stay up late and do what I want. I'm going to go do these wonderful and fanciful things. I'm going to fight dragons and, and I'm going to climb gonna trees and I'm going to I'm going to do all the things that I can't right now, but that I really want to. And I'm going to be able to carry all the heavy things that adults need to carry and like cuz they have these pictures in their minds of what adults do. Mhm. And they're like, I'm going to be able to do that, but I'm also going to keep doing these things. Yeah. And I'm going to play with the things that my mom just doesn't get. Like, they're fun. And she thinks that they're not fun. Mom and, and parents pretend. Yeah. Right. Adults pretend that these things aren't fun, but I'm going to do them anyway. I'm not going to pretend. Right. And it I was, love this song. It's This song is so wonderful. And you, you want to know something funny? Hmm. So over Christmas, I was at my mom's house and I found this box full of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And in it was this career portfolio that we had to make in middle school. Oh, I remember these. There was this one, you had to write a story about what you thought your life was going to be when you turned 30. (laughs) Oh, and as someone who's about to turn 29. Yeah, I was going to say that's like on the horizon. I was fascinated to see what eighth grade Benny thought. How old were we in eighth grade? We would have been 13. Yeah. Okay. How I thought my life was going to be. And? This is, this is the story that I wrote. So you had to include what you thought your job was going to be, where you were going to live, what does your house look like, what does your vehicle look like, all of these, what does your income look like. And I said that I'm going to live... In a, uh, a ranch-style home in Colorado in the woods <laughs> with three bedrooms for guests. Okay. Because I wanted to have room for people to come and stay if they, if they needed and wanted to. I had a dog. I would drive up the mountains and take photos. And I would sell the photos to, like, advertising agencies and stuff like that. Um and I would, I would garden. And if the money that I would make would be sufficient enough for my needs and a little extra for saving. And if I didn't make that off of my photos, I would take the extra crop that I had and I would sell it at a farmer's market. And it was just me and my dog in the mountains of Colorado. You have been a deeply depressed 89-year-old witch your entire life. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That was the whole thing. And like, I rem- and as I was reading this, I had flashes. Like, you know, when you, there's memories. Like a memory here. recall moment. Yeah. Yeah. Of like, I remember writing this story and we shared them in class and everyone else was like, I'm going to be a nurse and I'm going to, I'm going to live in in this home with my husband and my kids and we're gonna have a dog and or like I'm gonna make tons of money and this that and the other thing and I was just like I'm gonna be single with a dog living in the woods of Colorado (laughs) like and it just it was very funny I'm going to be alone and happy in the quiet yeah and I gotta tell you as I'm inching on 30 how many times have you heard me say I'm going to go run away to the woods. I'm yeah. Gonna go oh my God. Woods, constantly. And eighth grade me knew. I knew. Yeah. Until like a bunch of weird societal pressures got put on me of coming into adulthood of what adulthood needs to look like. 
Well, I think you need to get back to your roots. I would encourage you to find a cabin in the woods, maybe a little closer to home. Don't leave me. I'm just going to run away to Colorado. No, don't. And (laughs) I said, I'm going to drive once a month to L.A. to sell my photos to different companies. You're going to drive from Colorado to L.A. You have to understand, 8th grade Penny didn't know shit about shit. Okay. Well, it sounds like she knew something about something, but maybe not enough about geography. About, like, (laughs) geography or, like... Finances. Finances. You're going to sell photos and maintain a, a, a four-bedroom ranch style? I don't think you are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but like the hopes and dreams, they were all there. Yeah. Um, but I just, going back and seeing those things are so cool and really puts life in perspective for you as a person going back and like reading through my diary when I was a kid, going back and like looking at these photos when I was younger and like having these memories. I think it's so important for us as adults to reconnect with the child that's still in us. Oh, for sure. And I think one of the you most need to play. Yeah. You yeah. Yeah. Play. Um, a thing that I just, just came across my, my world, um, was we lose play. And whenever we start to get something that we are really enjoying doing, we then feel that we need to monopolize on it. We have to monetize it. That's capitalism. Right. And it's like, don't do that. And when you find yourself doing it, it's time to find a new hobby. Yeah. I always say to to young actors, like, I'm really glad you're passionate about this. I'm really excited that you maybe want to pursue this outside of high school, that you want to continue being an artist. That's wonderful. What are your hobbies? Like, what do you, what do you do when you're not on stage? And if they say like, oh, I rehearse, oh, I read plays, oh, I, I, I work on my audition repertoire. I'm like, no, that's, you're, you're still working. What do you do when you're not working? Model trains, collect stamps, you like traveling, museums, like, what do, what do you do? What do you do when you're not with a gig? What are you doing? And you have to have something because otherwise this whole industry just eats you up. It eats at every corner of your life. And I've, I've done that to myself where I've kind of, kind of invested my whole identity in making a project work. And it's awful for you. Mm-hmm. It's terrible for you. And it doesn't help the art either. You know, no. it, it, I think we have this uh, another preconceived delusion that obsessing over your work and becoming a workaholic and a grindaholic or whatever, you know, never, never stopping the grind is somehow productive or good or better. It's not. One of the most neglected steps of the process of making art, I think, is the reflection part. Because there, you have to reflect, right? You have to reflect and you have to rest. And if you don't, then you're not completing the cycle of art, of making art at least, and you end up hurting yourself or worse yet, hurting people around you. Well, I don't know. Maybe one's not worse than the other. I don't know. But yeah, you have to. You have to reflect. You have to look back. You have to take a moment. You have to rest. And you have to honor those things that that have happened and and see if you can move forward with them and with the new thoughts on what that reflection is. And a lot of this goes back to having shame about things. Right. It's how you experience growth. Yep. Right? That's entirely what the whole cycle is. And we so, have a moment at the end of this song where – we have like some adults in the chorus. They're on like a bus or something, I think. Yes, they're at the they're end of this on the number. Bus. Yep. And um, 
I also think it's a nice nod to the live production because they had a bunch of adult performers who dressed as kids, which a lot of people had negative feelings about because you could tell they were just like adults in school uniforms (laughs) running around with an actual child chorus. And it didn't sit well with everybody, but I like that we have a nod to it here. And I like that we have adults included in this number because I think it kind of underlines what the whole number is really about. Carlo agrees. Carlo does agree. He's chirping right with me. That's right, buddy. He's 16, so he knows. He knows. He's he an knows old lots man. about being old. We also get a moment with Miss Honey at the end of this number where she has her own chorus about when I grow up, I'll be strong enough to fight the dragons. And uh, and the lyrics kind of take on a new tension because she is an adult and an authority figure in this world. She's an adult, but she doesn't she feels like she still has growing up to do. And I think well, because that she stands under Trunchbull's shadow and she was her abuser for a long time. It still is. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, Carlo, you tell him. He does a good job of when you point that mic <laughs> I know. He, he knows. Make sure to, to I know, it. Carlo. Trunchbull's evil, isn't she? Oh, I know. But I think we all get that way, though, where we're like, we're not a grown up yet. And it's, it's something that I have told a lot of the kids that I've worked with, um, especially ones going off to college. I tell them, I was like, this is a thing that I had to learn that no one told me. And I'm done with not just telling kids. No, stop mystifying life. adulthood. Like, don't, no, it's I, not a big secret, guys. No. And I told them, I was said, you will think that one day at a certain age, you will wake up and you will magically know everything You'll be comfortable with yourself and your surroundings. You will have it all figured out and know exactly what you're supposed to do. That's not true. The only thing that happens is that you tend to become more comfortable with the uncertainty and the unknown. Yeah, there is no like final evolution point. There is no like finish line. No, and so, and I'm like, that's... And so some kids look at me like, oh, shit. That's terrifying. And I'm like, but that's the cool thing about life is that there's always room for growth and change and curiosity, learning something new and about yourself, about people, about the world around you. And it's one of those things that it's, to me, it's an important part of life to lean into that when you are busy looking at life as a race with an ending instead of like a, a journey right, an of adventure. experiences, you lose a chunk of it because you're thinking that you're going to finally get to this thing and it's, it's, you don't. Right. And not to be silly and prophetic and, and, you know, put everything into some kind of self-help book phrase but like life is an adventure and if you stop viewing it like that then it becomes work yeah. or or you know depression or something worse it's all an adventure there is no end point there are certainly achievements to be had and you can work towards things and that's great and you should feel proud about those things when you get them or you know you know enjoy the journey but you have to like f- i always tell actors you have to find time to like find joy in the process Mm-hmm. and not the outcome because if you're if you want to be on stage for the rest of your life for, for applause or for accolades or whatever go find something else to do go be a you know a youtube star or whatever like go 
do something else somewhere else. You have to, if you want to be here and do this for the rest of your life, you have to like the process. You have to enjoy rehearsing. You have to enjoy creating. You have to enjoy storytelling. You have to, you can't just enjoy applause. You'll hurt yourself. You have to enjoy the smaller moments that happen before. Enjoy the adventure. And I think that what's great about this song, this is the song that opens the second act in the musical. Yep. And I love this song because it pulls us back out of, out of the uh, experience as an audience member, like in the house rummaging around, finding your seat and stuff, pulls you back out of reality and back into the show. And like without contributing to the plot, just kind of like reiterates the point. That they're like, hey, remember being a kid? We're gonna we're in the middle of that right now, and it just kind of takes you back in. We have a really tender moment from Miss Honey at the end. It's just a really well done number, and it's why I pulled it for show choir when I did because it just says so many things about the experience of growing up and when the when your worldview changes. I just really love the number. Oh, I'm a little beclumped. <laughs> now that we've talked about it for 20 minutes. Uh, okay. So the number wraps up and Matilda is, is on a mission. She's mad about the people around her, about Trunchable changing the rules, about her parents breaking rules left and right, and people not doing what they said they were going to do. So she heads to Mrs. Phillips' library and says, where's the revenge section? (laughs) Relatable content. And Mrs. Phillips is like, okay, well, there's not really a revenge section. Also, is this having to do with bullying? Because if, if you are dealing with a bully, you should talk to an adult. You should talk to a teacher. Even better yet, you should talk to the headmistress. Well, no, not that. And I'm like, that was a cute idea, uh, Mrs. Phelps. And maybe in another place, another time, that would work. But sometimes uh, the adults around you are the problem. Yeah, sometimes it's best to tell your peers because there's power in solidarity. And sometimes it's, it's the adults in the room that suck. Yeah. From here, we get the next part of the circus story, though. And we see that the they did this act. Right, they, they did the... It. Oh, what's it called? The burning woman hurling through the... Hurtling? Hurling? Hurtling? Hurtling. Hurling? Through the air with dynamite in her hair over sharks and spiky objects caught by the man locked in the cage. Yes. And this, you know, he gets gets the dynamite off They totally pull head. it off, right? He catches her. They get the, the dynamite on her head is, like, locked, right? He has, like, head. a key in yep. his mouth. So, like, they unlock the dynamite. They throw it in the air. She lived. He caught her. All is well. The baby is saved. Ta-da. But not all stories end happily that way, and sometimes stories get worse. So it turns out the explosion caused the acrobat to fall. Like It, it like blew up the rigging holding them in the air. Yeah, and they like jolted downward, and then she slipped out, and she broke every single bone in her body. Except for the very ends of her little fingers. Yes. Um... But she lived, so she goes to the hospital. And she was able to live, um, to give birth to the baby girl. But then that was too great a trauma for her body. The effort effort was too great, and she didn't make it through childbirth. Right, she she died. And from here, 
Mrs. Phelps is like, what the fuck? And then the dad had the, the stepsister moved in. Mrs. Phelps was me in that moment. I was just like, no! Like she. <laughs> it can't be that. She's like, no, it can't be that. Call the police. Like she was so upset. I mean, the mom dies. Yeah. I freaked out. I was like, she died? Yeah. Yeah. That's intense. And from there, Matilda didn't know what else to do with this story. So she ended up, she left Mrs. Phelps and she Right, she home. tells her, like, the story comes to me in pieces. Like, I don't know how it ends. It, it, it's, yeah, she's like, it. It just comes to me in these fully formed chunks. Yeah. Um, and she gets home and her dad is there telling this story of how he is getting one over on all of these other people again. Right, he's selling all of these cars. To these big, scary, muscly guys. Because he, like, put a screw gun in the odometer and ran it backwards and, like, ran down the miles on these cars. Which is something that you do uh, see in the 1996 version of the film as well. Yeah. But, like, he just is openly committing fraud. And Matilda gets pissed and is like, you're a liar, you're a cheat, how dare you? Because she's getting fed up with all of these people in her life, specifically the adults in her life, lying and cheating everybody. And getting away with it. And yeah. being being the ones who come out on top. She's like, that's not fair. And her dad picks her up. Real quick, they, the bar that him and his wife are celebrating at is very pretty. It's like a mid-century modern mirrored bar. It's stunning. The it glasses a, is, are a really cool shape. It's They're really nice. I really want one. Oh, I mean, someday I'm cool. going to have like a shag carpet den with a conversation pit and one of these crazy like mid-century modern bars. Excellent. It's a life goal of mine. I love that. But then, but then he puts terrible. his fucking hands on that little girl. He picks her up and physically throws her into her room. The white hot rage that my brain flashed to yeah oh it was uncontrollable abusive parents deserve violence uh, they do they i mean they don't they do but they do they do in my personal opinion i mean i don't i can't recommend this podcast official stances we do not recommend violence we as, don't condone violence we don't condone violence as retribution for anything but like god abusive parents fill me with such white hot anger oh they deserve bad things in their life. Yeah. And we get the next part of the story, even though Mrs. Phelps is not here, because this is the next flash that Matilda gets. And we get the song, I'm Here. Oh, it's so sad. And I'm crying again. So it's it's this story, and you're seeing the dad being, like, carrying her, and is like, oh, I'm sorry, little girl, you're crying. You know? Right. The the escapologist essentially is like scooping yes. up the child that was left behind. Right. And, and telling her, like, I'm sorry I left. I, I promised to be here. Like Because the step aunt had like locked this child in the basement. Right. And the dad came home early and found this out and was so So there's upset. this sort of reunion and the dad apologizes and it's it's really moving. It's very stirring and it's very, very reflective of Matilda's current place where she feels really alone, but she has this story that she's really attached to and she's found refuge in it and it's just really sweet. And I, I do want to take a quick moment and just point out that all of the heroes in this film are black and all of the villains are white. 
Bless. And it's the only narrative I'm interested in. We've done the reverse for a very, very long time, and I'm done hearing about it. It's not interesting to me anymore. It's not, it's not telling me anything new. It's not sharing anything informative about the world we're living in or the world we have lived in or the world we should live in. And I'm done hearing about it, and I really love this narrative. Ten stars, big fan. What I loved about this was the fact that Matilda inserted herself as the daughter. Yes, she did. So clearly there's some child and, but in this moment, this is what she needed. Right. We have these little moments when she takes Miss Phelps into the story, when she introduces herself into the story where this story becomes her reality and it becomes a reflection of her story so this story is her story and her story is this story and they start to bleed together and cross paths a little bit. Yeah. It's really good storytelling. It's I yes. So the um uh the escapologist <laughs> Oh my god. Word. Um the this escape artist which is what they actually called <laughs> Gets really upset at what happened, uh, what's been happening behind his back with the evil step aunt. And is like, I'm going to go take care of this. And drives off into the night. And you see his anger and he ends up bending a trash can, which is kind of weird. That's with, his, with his brain. With his brain. Um, and then she says that he was never seen again after he left. When we shift back into... Matilda's reality we see that she indeed bent her trash can so that was one of those story moments right of them. whether she knows it or not her frustration while she sang while she had this moment yep. crushed her trash can in her bedroom and yeah again it's one of those crossover moments where like this story is her story and she's telling a story but it's her story I don't know yeah the line gets muddy it does. <laughs> Next day, we're back at school. The kids are saying that Matilda is leading a revolution. They're uh, like slipping her revolution. things. Revolution. This kid opens up their blazer and has a note that says the word no, like pinned to the inside of it, because she said no to Trunchable. Yeah. Which no one has ever said no to Trunchable. Listen, the key to resistance is solidarity. Solidarity in numbers. And these kids are ready. They are. They're into it. So, as Lavender is talking to Matilda about this, Trunchable hears it because of the because her of her eyes all over, right, everywhere. And we get the song "The Smell of Rebellion." Trunchable comes to Miss Honey's class and takes the like rounds up these kids, and is like, "You're going to phys ed because I'm noticing that there's too many rebels." around here for my liking and I'm going to beat it out of you essentially. And their gym uniform is like a white it's like a white long john? Yeah. It's like long underwear but it's like a with a with a a school crest? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in the corner. Yeah, and, and so they start this military obstacle course in the rain. In the mud. So they like have to run to to this pl- to this place to do these like rope climbing and like you do see these things in military training. Yeah, yeah, it's fully military training and it's really graphically effective because they're wearing white leotards, like white full body unitards. 
and then like like marching through the brown mud and getting stuck in it yeah yeah the contrast is really cool like again it's just everything about this movie is so visually effective yep and then like Trunchable is singing this entire time about how terrible kids are and how you have to be mean to them. And just starts detonating bombs. That are like underneath the mud. She like pushes buttons and it's like... I fully thought she blew up a child on the first one. I was like, did she just murder a child? What the fuck? She might have. And then she starts telling this story about how she... Sometimes daydreams about a world without children and how much peace there would be. And, she has this and then moment. there's like a bunch of horses around. She's on like one of those. And now like, she's on a swing. Yeah, like one of those plank swings that you make in the woods. And she's got on a white dress and Her a flower crown. And oh my god, it's so funny. And she's swinging and she's talking about these horses. She's like, they just, they're just all around. They just go, nay. And then you flip back to the reality of the world, and she's swinging on a tire swing. Oh my god, this movie's so whimsical and fun. It 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 really is. And Nigel just looks up and says, "She's mad. Like (laughs) this woman is just like nay, nay, like while swinging on a fucking tire swing." Yeah, she is mad. Yeah, but in oh. a fun way. And then she, and then because he says that, it breaks her out of it, and she's like, "See, children ruin everything." Well, it's your fault, and she like freaks out. Trunchbull, Agatha, and I agree on that front. Children don't ruin everything. I hate children. I yeah, I know you do. <laughs> um, Honey starts yelling at Trunchbull because she starts like pulling a kids ears she's yeah, like yeah. yelling at these so I th- children i think the exact sequence of events is that who's the little girl with the newt lavender lavender has put her newt in trunchbull's water pitcher thing yes and, and then, then trunchbull the yeah and then she drinks it and realizes there's a newt in it and freaks out and then she gets mad, and of course she has to take it out on the nearest target, so she finds this kid, she runs up to him and grabs him by the ears, and she has an exchange with Miss Honey, where Miss Honey's like, you're going to rip his ears off, and Trunchbull's like, no, actually I found through years of experimentation that little boys' ears don't don't come off their heads, they just stretch. And then she pulls them, and they, <gasps> it's, bleh, bleh, bleh. it's so gross, it's absolutely rancid and I totally could have done without it but she like stretches out his ears all gross and then it's awful and Matilda stands up to Trunchbull and then Trunchbull turns around and just starts screaming at her and we just see Matilda getting really angry and it's like the wind is like starting to whip around her and there's just so much anger and then all of a sudden, and she's singing, and it's this built up of extreme emotion. And as soon as we reach the peak, it levels out. And it's this, it's the song's title is called Quiet. Right. So there's a fourth wall break as she, as this, we build to the climax. And I, I couldn't decide if I liked it or not, but I think the song Quiet is so precious and effective because of that fourth wall break. That by the time we kind of come back to reality and we're kind of done with the song Quiet, I think I do like the fourth wall break. Yeah, and so the song Quiet 
after like that extreme buildup, she's singing about how sometimes the lights flashing too bright, people yelling, screaming, people this, that, the other thing. And she's like, and then all of a sudden my brain just goes quiet. And I'm, I'm like floating on a cloud and I, it's, that's a dissociative episode. Yeah. I was like <laughs> watching this. I was like, Oh my God, is this a song about like disassociation? And it yeah, fully absolutely is. It fully it is. is. Because she's like up in this air balloon and she's just like, you know, it's not silence because silence is can, like, there's no sound at all, but quiet is like, you can still hear the turning of a page and you can, you know, things like yeah. that. And just the picture that these words paint. It's really a lovely song. It's very delicate. It's very precious. Yeah. And I don't mean precious in like a, oh, how cute. I mean, it's precious in like. Precious like a. Like it's fragile. Yeah. Like an, like a little item, like a figurine. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's delicate. Yeah. And I love it. And she starts to come back down from it. Um, and Trenchable is still screaming. And. Matilda fully uses uh, telekinesis to throw the cup and smack Trunchable in the back of the head. Mm-hmm. And then the newt came out of the cup. Falls down her, her shirt, clothes, sweater. She's wearing a sweater. The back of her sweater and crawls down into her knickers. Yeah. Oh, my God. And she goes off screaming and, like, heads, like, it, Trunchable does. Heads inside her, like, Rawr! you know whatever um and miss honey is like okay i don't know what just happened but kids get inside change keep your heads down the rest of the day everything will be okay but you need to keep your heads down and do not start any other trouble Mm -hmm. then matilda is standing there and she's like miss honey i need to show you this miss honey's like no we have to get we have to to she's like no no let me show you and she focuses and moves the cup again and she fully lifts the cup into the air using her mind. And Miss Honey is like, the fuck? And Miss Honey's like, um, how would you like to come over for a cup of tea? We have much to discuss. Yeah. <laughs> so we get to Miss Honey's house after school, and it's just this shack just outside of the woods. Right, it's a shed. Yeah. It's like a one-room plywood building. Yeah. And we find out that Honey's dad had passed away. They, she I mean, this scene living. is really a masterclass. Oh my god! I mean, she's Miss Honey has done a marvelous job up to this point, but in this scene especially, I mean, she acts the pants off this scene, and it, it's just they nailed this casting. Oof. So we find out Honey's dad had passed away when she was a kid, so she ended up having to live with her aunt. And her aunt was just awful and vicious and worse than anybody could ever even possibly come to comprehend. And then she left the house. She became a teacher. And then as soon as she became a teacher, this aunt presented her with a bill for every single thing, like every gas bill. Every tea bag she ever right. used. Every, every cookie, can every of beans every she time ate she when washed she was her hands, kid. right. I mean it's every single An thing. Itemized bill and made her sign this contract that she will pay this all back. Mm-hmm. So she is poorer than most educators. Which is saying something. Which she literally says in the movie. She's like, 
She's like, yeah, teachers don't get paid what they should, but also like I, it's, hey, it's I a, have it a little worse because I. It's also, a shitty low bar that we should acknowledge. Yeah. So she's living in this shed, and she thinks that because she's like, I don't understand why my dad wouldn't have left me the house, because this aunt says that it's hers. Mm-hmm. And she does believe that her aunt killed her dad. Right to get everything. Right. And then Honey found this shed and begged the farmer whose land it is on if she can live there. And then we get the song My House. I love this song. It is so beautiful. And it we get images of the... Oh, gosh. The burning woman hurling through the... Oh, the es- no. escapologist. Thank you. Escapologist. <laughs> I was going to rattle off the whole and act. It, no. We get images of the escapologist. And I'm like, oh, my God hugging a young right we see we see the same scene that matilda had in her room but from honey's miss honey's point of view yeah yeah what's the song that's so sad that we cry during this the song what what the one where matilda hugs the escapologist yeah i'm here i'm here it's that exact same scene but this time it's from miss honey's perspective and because Miss Honey was the little child. girl. And it suddenly it starts to like all coalesce that the story Matilda has been telling this entire time was Miss Honey's life story. Because she also like sees this scarf that's on this chair that Matilda's sitting in. And it's the same scarf from the story that the acrobat mom had. And she asks Honey about it. And she's like, oh, that, that was my dad's. Uh, it was my mom's originally. But my mom died, and then she was like, was your mom an acrobat? And Miss Honey's like, how the fuck did you know that? And then she's like telling all these things of what this story was and the fact that it wasn't really her aunt, it was her step-aunt. And we find out that that step-aunt was Trunchbull. Trunchbull. Right, and so... Ross! Philosopher. It's a husband! Two hours later. Sorry about that, everybody. My husband was away at war and came home, and so we <laughs> had to, <laughs> so we had to welcome him and get him situated. But we're back. Um, so yes, now we're discovering that the story Matilda has been telling has been uh, Miss Honey's story all along. And so again, this line between the story and her life, because it's all the same story. I don't know. The line is almost non-existent now at this point. Yes, because Trunchbull is indeed the evil step-aunt in question of Miss Honey. And now Matilda has kind of set herself on vengeance. Matilda is going to go fuck up Trunchbull. I don't even think vengeance is the right word. Maybe righteousness? Yeah, because Miss Honey like comes busting out of... Because like, Matilda's like, I have to go! And Miss Honey's like, please don't do anything... You have to be careful, Matilda. She says she's dangerous. And Matilda, without missing a beat turns around, looks her square in the face, and says, so am I. Oh! Oh, bitch. God damn. <laughs> and then Matilda, like, just, you know, white-hot rage. Oh, she's... Runs She's raring to go. And she gets to where the chokey is, because the chokey, in so the original un- film, is like an Iron Maiden thing inside Trunchbull's office. Yeah, but in the, in the movie here, in the movie musical, it's like out in the woods. But it's... It's a box out in the woods, chained to the ground. Yeah, yeah. It is... So on the way, Oof. she's like... Matilda's like testing her skills and like making her hat fly back and forth. She's essentially training on her way there. Yeah, yeah. And then she gets to the chokey. No, she blows up the chokey. That hat thing 
happens when she is on her way to school the next day. She blows up the chokey. She blows up the chokey. She fucking nukes it. Yes. And she was like, oh, fuck. I did not realize that I have that that kind of power. She was like, fuck it. I'm going to blow this bitch sky high. Oh, yeah. She goes whole hog. Yes. She gets home, and then she, her parents are, like, in a flurry. They're like, we got to pack. We're going, we're leaving for Spain. Because turns out the car buyers that we fucked over were mafia. Whoops. And she's like, no, this, this is all your fault. And she's so mad. And then Matilda ends up going to Mrs. Phelps um, van and did you forget that word? (laughs) No, I'm thinking ahead and my brain's moving too fast. Just leave me alone. Um, so she goes to, and we, she finds out that she has gone to a book fair and Matilda writes her a note. Sorry, Miss Phelps. Maybe not all stories have happy endings. Oh, and she tucks it into the handle of the van with with like a, yeah, the like glued together mess that is grapes of wrath. Yeah. It's it's cute, but also very sad. Yeah. Then she's heading to school, and she's working on her powers with her hat. Um, like, letting it go ahead and spinning it and putting it up through the trees and everything. And she then gets to the front of the school and sees that Trunchable has wrecked the playground in the front. Yeah, and she she says something over the loudspeaker about, like, you ruined my toys, so I ruined yours. Yeah. Which is a terrible way to look at a torture device, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> whatever. And then Trunchable calls forth Miss Honey's class um, into... The cafeteria. The cafeteria, where she has a whole classroom set up. These kids enter in, and you see these tarps covering... The walls, the, the ceiling, walls, the everything. The, like... And the sandbags that are holding these things in place, the knots that are tied around them to keep them held up, look like nooses. It's really dark. Trunchable looks insane. Yeah, oh, she's cracked. like, crazed behind the eyes. Um, And she decides that she's going to give these kids a spelling test. And if you spell the word she gives you wrong, you are going to get punished. Yeah. So. One, just one itty bitty little mistake. Yeah. And it's the chokey. Yeah. Um, because she's built a new chokey. She's like, oh no, I, I, there's another chokey in this room and it's underneath that stage area. Yeah. It's like on in. display and she's like, don't you worry. I know the chokey got blown to bits, but fear not. Yeah. I can still punish you. Right. So. Then we've got Nigel. She calls on Nigel to spell the word newt, and he does. And she gets pissed, and she's like, how did you know that? And Nigel's like, well, Miss Honey's taught us things because she's actually a very good teacher. Mm-hmm. And so that's just pissing Trunchbull off more. Asks another student to spell the word revolting, and the child does, and she gets even more enraged. And then she makes up this obnoxious word, that has silent letters in it, she says, and asks the pigtail girl, Amanda, to spell it. Right. And Honey's like, that's a made-up word that's unfair. You can't do that. And then this kid starts spelling it, and she's like, actually spelling it for a hot minute? She gets like six or seven letters in. And then Trunchable's like, oh, no, no, no. There was a silent V there. 
And she grabs her and she's about to throw her in the chokey. And then Nigel stands up on his desk and says, Cat, C-A-F. And I wrote in all caps, let's get naughty, baby. And then all of these kids start climbing on the tops of desks, like saying a word and then spelling the word wrong. Right. And they're like, you can't put us all in the chokey. Because they only see this one underneath the thing. And I was like, fuck you, Trunchable. Revolution, bitch. Plot twist. She she, pulls a cord. And then all of these canvases. All the tarps fall. And the room is lined with chokies. She built a chokey for each kid. Each and every student has their own. Yeah. And so she's about to start throwing children in there. And Matilda, with her mind... Goes full carry. Yeah. (laughs) Uses chalk and writes a message on the chalkboard about, like, Agatha, this is Magnus... You need to leave and, like, leave the house back, give the house back to my daughter. Give my house up, or I'll get you the way you got me. And she starts freaking out a bit, and then she's like, no, 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 this is just a parlor trick. These are the kinds of stupid tricks that Magnus used to do all of the time. And then, um, they're fully forms Magnus, like Magnus's costume, out of like out chains. Of chains. Yeah. Okay. So this is something the the writing on the chalkboard thing is a stunt they pull with like projections in the live show. It's very cool. Which it's, makes sense. It's very expensive, but it's very cool to see the giant Magnus made out of chains is not something we do. No, you don't just like pull a. Yeah. No. No. no we don't. No. Um, it's it's over the top. It's very exciting. It's fucking wild. And then it starts like whipping these balls of chain at the chokies to bust them all up. Right. And demolishes each and every one of them. Right. And she's freaking out. And then she, Trunchable's freaking out. She goes and she pulls on these chains and they all fall. She's like, see, you can't stop me. And then Matilda using her. Her telekinesis. Control, her telepathy. Braids. Trunchable's hair and pigtails. And then picks her up. Picks her up by the pigtails and whips her around and chucks her out the ceiling Hammer throws her out the ceiling. And just, she goes flying. And just before she would fully break her neck, uh, because she would have landed on her head, Matilda stops her from falling the rest of the way. The keys fall out of her pocket. Miss Honey snaps him up. And then she drops Trunchable the rest of the way. Then Honey says that this is her school now. She's like, this is my school now, and you need to leave. Good on you, girl. Get out of here. And then Trunchable runs away. And what I find interesting is that there's like a group of crows Mm-mm. that just like follows after her. Well. And I'm like, hmm, maybe Magnus was that all along a little bit. Mm. You know, just a little... Bruce has been sitting in the cafeteria this entire time, and he picks up the... Walkie-talkie. The, the, the weird speaker thing, the portable one that she has. <laughs> I can't think of the word either. Great. The intercom? The intercom microphone. Wow, your strokes are starting to wear off wow, on me. Wow, osmosis. I don't like that. Uh, No, so he picks it up, and he starts singing the song Revolting Children. What? And it is 
another number. So this is Sing a way it, Bruce. I love the intro to this. all of the other kids and the teachers to hear that they got Trunchable out of the school. Yeah. And these kids just go full fucking revolution, make signs, throw shit, climb on desks. The dancing is fucking wild. The song Revolting Children is a bop. It's so good. It's really great. And yes, the choreo absolutely kills. Like, let's go choreo. I mean, they it's slam into that. It's shit. so good. And they, and I, I love the ending of this. They rip down the statue of Trunchbull in front of the school. Yep. And it ju- it's just wonderful. Then we get the Wormwoods pull up to the front of the school and tell Matilda it's time to go, you know, this, that, the other thing. And in this moment, I realized that the Wormwoods didn't have much in this film like they do in the 1996. Do they have more in the musical? They do have more in the musical. They get really cooked down for this movie musical, which I was kind of surprised at. Like, we're missing a whole character. She has an, uh, Matilda has an older brother in the musical. Oh, so she does. Because I know that it, it's in the 1996 version she does, but I didn't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. It's in the original the movie. It's in the original musical, but they don't do it here. And they reduce, there's like a whole subplot with mom being a dancer and she's supposed to be in some kind of dancing competition. And there's like a, like a, her dance partner who is like this really sexy dance teacher who she's clearly having an affair with. Like there's a whole subplot that we miss from the parents on this. They were really cooked down quite a lot. And at, at first I thought I was really missing them and it was kind of bugging me. But then as we got further into it, the more I thought about it, the parents are there in the live show to be comedic balance to kind of the really intense themes that we're dealing with and the really dark moments that we have. They offer levity. They offer uh, reprieve from the dark topics, but we still do that here, right? Like we still have levity. We still have Trunchbull on a swing with horses. Like we still have the whimsy and the fun and the lightness and And the comedy. You can't do on stage. Yeah. And, and in a way, if we had kept all the, business with the parents it would have lessened the story that we were able to portray about matilda because what i like about this adaptation was the focus of being was on matilda a lot more exactly and i i think if we had preserved all of the stuff with the parents if we had kept all of those plot lines intact we would have we would have lost things about Matilda's story for time reasons, for ease of storytelling reasons. I just think it would have sat differently. I And I, I think it was a beneficial decision. I think they made the right choice because we do get a sort of concentrated look at Matilda's story, which I think is a good thing. And I love, and I think that it's it's great that it's geared more towards her instead of trying to add in. Right. And, and so the... It's not needed in this medium. So the narrative function of the family and the parents is filled with uh, by other things here and things that strengthen the story that we want to tell at its core. So I, I am missing them a little bit in this for nostalgic reasons maybe, but as far as narratively and, uh, and story-wise, I think it's fine. I think it's maybe even a good thing. Yeah. So the Wormwood show up to get her and the kids and Honey want Matilda to stay. And I'm crying at this point, by the way. Yeah. Mr. Wormwood gets out of the vehicle and is like, you have to get in and we have to go. And she's like, well, where am I going to get in? Cause there's, there's no, no room in the vehicle. No. And her, her mom, Mrs. Wormwood is just like, Oh, just, just throw her in the, the back, back of the truck. 
like seriously? which is p.s full of all of their belongings including like furniture and mattresses and like there's not room for it. a child no and miss honey comes up to the parents and are like what if i keep her what if she stays here and I i'll pay for everything i'll take care of her and then mr wormwood says you want our daughter and matilda like noticeably is startled by that because that's the first time in her life that he has acknowledged her as his daughter right and she and mrs miss honey is like yes absolutely that's that's what i would i would love to take care of her and he says he's like is that what you want she said yes absolutely yes yeah and she's still kind of baffled yeah, well, this has never happened to her, not even once. No, it's, it's <laughs> wild. And so Matilda goes and, like, goes to shake her dad's hand because this entire time that hat from, like, the first su- chunk of it being glued still on Still glued head, on. It's been glued still, on the entirety of the movie. Yeah. Um, she gets it unstuck from her dad's head using her telekinesis. Yeah, it's a it's a weird moment. It's weird. It looks weird. The glue is CGI and there's like a weird like weird pull snapping cuz you can tell that like it's her brain like yeah, cutting the glue. I I hated it. I thought it was really weird. I do understand that we need it though because Matilda, one of her core principles is that she's always reciprocal. Yeah. Like she always treats other people the way they treat her. And so her dad acknowledged her in good faith, respectfully. So then she did something good back Right, and so him. she in turn released him from his hat torture, the respectfully. That she right, right, she rescinded a punishment. So I understand why it had to happen, and like narratively I get it, because it, it reflects her character even in this moment, at the very end here, when she has like achieved her goal and she doesn't really need to do this for him. So I understand why it's there, I just thought it was weird. I just think it's weird and goofy and, yeah. and kind of gross. <laughs> That's all. So her parents are riding off into the sunset, um, childless, which is the way they always wanted it. And we see, so we get the song Still Holding My Hand. Which is a new song that they wrote for the film. Mm-hmm. And it is, oh, it is beautiful. And we get to see what Matilda's life looks like now. So we get to see her spending time with Mrs. Phelps telling her more stories and they get so excited about the about the ending of this story because the story now has it has a happy ending. It has a happy ending and Mrs. Phelps loves a happy ending. And we really 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 didn't think it would. Yeah, goddamn. <laughs> and then we get to see the school and all of the changes that have been made there that Miss Honey did along with the kids. They were a part of the process. And she brought a bit of the circus to the school. Mm -hmm. Um, And we see the other teachers there also playing and getting to be kids alongside with the other, the actual kids. Um, Mrs. Phelps, uh, not Mrs. Phelps, Miss Honey got her home back. And her and Matilda have made it their home and she ends up getting this like circus wagon and putting it in the front yard as like a fun extra thing. Um, and they are laying on top of it and then they sing the words, the final words of 
and you're here still holding my hand. And, and then they, they grab hands. each other's hands. When I and tell you that this new song, movie. this new song is the perfect addition to this movie. It's, oh. Well, this kind of became uh, a two-hour therapy session. This, I hope people were got some good feels out of the conversation that we had here. Gosh, today. I hope so, too. And if you think our blathering is um, all, you know, self-help and moon stars drivel, then uh, maybe skip this one. <laughs> I mean, I... that's not useful information to you now that you've been here for two and a half hours, but, you know. Like, you know, I just, you're going to get this sometimes because this is just <laughs> the way we feel about the world and, and the people around us. We're, and this time of year, we're extra mushy-gushy. It just, yeah. Well, should we rate it? We should. What do we rate our new musical? New year, new musical. What do you give it? Gosh. Give me a number. Throw me a number. Don't give me silence. 4.8. A 4.8? I'm going to go 4.5 because I feel really strongly about those fat suits. That's that's why it was a 4.8, not a 5. I'm willing to knock off a, a but, full half a but point. We can we can knock off a full half point for that. I was on the fence about about Agatha's fat suit, about Trunchy's. Yeah. But then there's the scene when they do the boot camp and she's in the sweater and the skirt. And that's when you can really tell that they, they did modify like a large portion of her body. Yeah. She is in fact wearing like a full torso fat suit. Yeah. And that's not acceptable. For what? Because people with broad shoulders and big boobs are mean? Well. That's just not true. I'm mean. I'm the mean one. You out of the two of us, yes, <laughs> you are the mean one. Unless a white man tries to tell me I can't do something. <laughs> Just like I just beef up, and I have very, know? I have very slender, feminine shoulders, and I'm very mean. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> it's just not necessary. It wasn't necessary, especially in a modern adaptation of this. And I know we have a character description that we're sticking to, and maybe there's a character scri- description in the book that we're adhering to. And like wanting to take the character, and it's a nostalgia thing, and this, that, and the other thing, because like. I, I don't know. It just... there, there is gray area. And again, I think some of the stuff we did with like her face, her jaw, her nose, those things do enhance the character. And I appreciate that. The fact that she's on platform shoes, what I think, does stuff for me. The kid doesn't need a fat suit at all and, and in under any circumstances whatsoever. And if you as a director are committed to having a fat kid play that kid, then hire a fat kid. Be done. Enough. So four and a half. Four and a half. Give it the bitty test. The BD, the Benny Drake. Pass fail. Pass. I think it's a pass. The only I think people. It's a pass. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> the only time that I really can't, the only time I get cringe is in that very like first opening like thirty seconds when their little voices are singing. Right, but like we discussed, we think that it was a. a decision. It had to be a choice. It, it was a choice. And I, I didn't I don't, hate it because it didn't oh, last very long. I hated it. It wasn't my favorite. I was like, if this is the way the rest of this movie is, we're going to have to pull the plug we're on this gonna one. Have to, I'm going to have to make a call. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think, I don't think it enhanced the storytelling in any way, though. Yeah, I guess. Like, would the story have been bad if we just had like they don't have to be trained voices, but could they at least be on pitch? No. Christ. Okay, well, that's a 4.5 and a pass. That's a really strong way to swing in the new year. Boom. 
what a fun way to to crash into the new hey do you have any new year's resolutions um no no like on principle you don't do them so the way that i work things in my life is probably a little different than the than the average person this time of year to me is a time of, of rest and hibernation and reflection i agree and then later on is the time of year for sowing new seeds of of thought and and new things that you want to try and do yeah well that's the natural cycle baby I lean more into that. So my personal philosophy on New Year's resolutions is if this is a time of year where you can take the collective passing and acknowledgement of time and that's a marker for you that you can start a new adventure or start a new project or start a new hobby, a new goal, whatever that may be. If this is an excuse for you to be able to like mark that for yourself, cool. That's really awesome and I don't want to knock that. I think if you need that for yourself, you should take it. Yeah. I personally don't usually wait until new year's to start something like i've been i've been doing this push-up challenge which has been great for me because i find that i don't need to do a lot of exercise but when i have a regular workout of some kind to look forward to or at least incorporate into my day even if i dread it (laughs) Mm -hmm. um i feel better Mm -hmm. i know that's dumb but like working out regularly does help no, that's the bitch of a lot of things I know, like in it, life. It sucks, but it works. Is that you like you hear these things and it's and it's kinda like what we talked about earlier, the the really basic thing. It's it's about the it's about the journey. Right, it is. So and I don't like things like that. It, it, that's one of those things that you come to learn is you're like, ah, moving my body is important. Yeah, it is. My body that's, likes to be it's moved. something we I think we took uh for granted as kids because we were so active. We were so active all of the time. And so when we weren't actively in something, that was the only time we got to rest. Yeah. And then we weren't and in then, things and we just stayed resting. Because that's, <laughs> that's what like... It's we what I'm hardwired, right? It's do. what I'm hardwired to so do. So trying to switch up that hardwiring a bit. But so I don't wait until New Year's to usually start goals for myself. Mm-hmm. And that's just like my personal thing. I also don't do like year long goals. My goals tend to be either like much longer than that, like five, 10 year goals or like much quicker than that. So they're like small and achievable and I don't feel like a failure. Yeah. because well, I tend not to do like full 12 month cycles on goals. It's just, it just feels unachievable to me, especially right now. Life is tumultuous. Like, I mean, we're, we're just now creeping up on 30 and like trying to stabilize our lives. Yeah. So I don't know. That doesn't it doesn't really resonate with me in the path that I'm on right now. I don't really do twelve month goals. Um I don't know if I have any goals for the upcoming year. It'd be really nice to get back on stage. That's kind of a long term goal that I'm always working at. It's yeah. Always chipping away at like building something new for us to do on stage. Yeah. Building something other people can I mean, it's not just for us, obviously. Us wanna, and other people that we know and, and love. And yeah, yeah. I want to I want to continue to build opportunities for the people around us. But yeah. yeah, I guess maybe that. Maybe that's my New Year's resolution. I want to get back on stage with people that I like being on stage with. That's a good one. Yeah. Do you want a fortune cookie? I would love one. Or hey, it's New Year's. How about a glass of champagne? Well, this is New Year's Day. Is everybody hungover that- as shit? hair the dog (laughs) i don't care you're getting a glass of champagne either way cheers so this is a quote from roald Dahl, and the quote is a message to children who have read this book when you grow up and have children of your own do please remember something important 
A stodgy parent is no fun at all. What a child wants and deserves is a parent who is sparky. (laughs) And I think it resonates with a lot of the feelings we had while we were watching this movie and a lot of the deep reflective moments we shared with each other. But also it ends in the word sparky. And I just think that's a fun adjective for a parent. Yeah, it is. God, you gotta be sparky. You gotta be sparky. <laughs> and it's and it's one of those things too of it's easy to it's a, and this is another one of those touchy feely woo woo whatever the hell you want to call it. But when you're constantly reflecting on the negative, that's when you get to be yeah yeah that, that grumpy individual. But to be sparky, sometimes you have to look at the look at the positives, even the simple. The simplest things that bring warmth and light to your day. Don't be stodgy. Stay sparky. Yeah. (laughs) Where can they find us? Oh, my goodness. You guys can go right on ahead and find us at places and things. On the internet. On the internet. So you can find us on Twitter at Backstage BDs. That's Backstage B for Benny, D for Drake. Are we still repping them? I don't know. Are we? I think we should just take it out. Nope. Fuck this. 2023, our resolution, fuck Twitter. You can no longer find us on Twitter. I mean, you can still find... You can still find us on Twitter. <laughs> but... <laughs> you can find us on Twitter in order to link to all the rest of our shit, but yep. it's probably not going to be... We're not going to do anything with it. So we've got Instagram and TikTok at uh, Backstage Biddies, or you can email us at BackstageBiddies at gmail.com. Go ahead, rate us five stars, comment your favorite movie musical, um, or one that you hate and would love to hear us talk about and i'll get moved to the top of the list tell your friends about us follow us do the things where can they find you you can find me on instagram and tiktok at binny biddy where can they find you you can find me on tiktok at drake underscore leverance that's drake underscore l-e-w-e-r-e-n-z as in zebra you can also find me on the corner of main and eighth selling my wares oh my god well, I mean, don't just look for me on TikTok. That's crazy, right? Like, just one spot on the internet? Just one spot. It's so big out there. Just one spot. One little one little corner of the world. Hmm. hmm. Find me on Google Maps. I feel like that could get creepy. Some of you can triangulate my my location. I know you can. So if you send me a picture of me, I'll, I don't know, buy you an ice cream cone. It's January in Wisconsin, and I'm going to buy you an ice cream cone. Gonna... Well, you can't do it. No, you know where I am. But I would like an ice cream. (laughs) (laughs) Well, fine. Let's get out of here and go get some ice cream. All right. Let's go get some ice cream. Okay. Okay. Bye. So what they're saying, what these little... You know. Do they know? No. <laughs> you can't. Don't interrupt the train. We'll be here all day. Oh my God. You know, and I know that using the medium of film in different ways is. Carlo. Sorry, everybody. Carlo has an opinion about Matilda today. You better tell him. All right. He's in. Everybody, we have a new biddy.
Uh, Carlo, do you, guest on the pod. do you have anything to say to the people? <laughs> you heard it here first, fam. <laughs> oh, Lay we down. Love, we love you, Carlo.